this week we're joined by the legendary Spanish Oscar-winning star of The Little Mermaid. Have you barred him? No, he was very nice. We let him stay. Oh, God. Also, David Diggs pops by as well to talk about The Little Mermaid and Hamilton. Mostly Hamilton, let's be honest. And <laughs> all that, plus usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast. I can't believe the greatest day of its life is 18 years old today. Happy birthday, Istanbul. Oh, boy. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what you're oh, talking Oh, do you know about. what? Don't even tell me. I don't it's want to know. It's a football. He went to Istanbul. Care. Yes. We won, the, we won the Champions thingy. 18, Who's we? <laughs> 18 years. Chris, L-I-V, Chris and Kobe E-R-P, personally. O-L, Liverpool FC. You, you're a Liverpool fan, Kobe. I'm a Liverpool fan. This has never come up. I'm, I'm a very muted Liverpool fan. As well, of, it's just like, a, like an embarrassed. Is that because an of where you live? Liverpool fan. It's because of where I live. No, and where you're from? I'm from Manchester. <laughs> so it, you have to... In the Jamie, in you're the Jamie, Jamie, you're Jamie Tart. Yeah, yeah. Jamie Tart. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I do keep it a bit on the down low. Bit on the down. Okay. Is, All that, right. is that what happens? Like what happened when Jamie Tart went back to Manchester happens to you? What people abuse you in the yeah, street? Basically. Yeah. Generally, yeah. Fair Hello, enough. Pod. <laughs> I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. <laughs> this week, as you can tell, we're in the studio and we're joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Great big fucking nerd. James Dyer is here, the diehard Evertonian. I am, <laughs> yes. Dyer. Come on, you blues. <laughs> yep. I'm right. so impressed you got the colour right. I know. Are you excited about this weekend's big game against Bournemouth? Everton could go down. Oh, I love, love fighting Bournemouth. It's great. Yeah. Geek Queen Helen O'Hara is here. It is really extraordinary that we are in a room and I am not the person who knows least about football. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Hi. I cannot stress enough how little I know. And yet, my knowledge dwarves that of James. See, what? you say that, but I you, have you say watched. That. You, 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 say you that. say that. Uh, but I have watched every episode of Ted Lasso now except for the finale. Me too. So I feel that so. I, have, I have a decent understanding of the football. Except I also have watched like <laughs> an watch absolute <laughs> minimum of football beyond that. So you yeah. do not watch Ted Lasso to get an understanding of how football works. Football uh, with, life. with the best will in the world. Yeah, you just you, you go along to the stadium and you just go Danny Rojas, Danny Rojas, and that's essentially the, the that's the game. That's the game. That's there the you game. go, that's Helen. Good. Which team would you support if you had to support a team? If I had to support a team, yeah, um, AFC do, Richmond doesn't count. I know. I, I'm aware of that. Um, uh, my dad did vaguely and and I cannot stress how vaguely he supported <laughs> Liverpool but he did support Liverpool yes three reds in one room um, so it would probably have had to have been that and I think that was I always liked your dad I know I know yeah he's he's a good lad but um, I, I, honestly I think it was mostly in in kind of reaction to his younger brother who's a very big Man U fan yeah so. mm. yeah Kobe Omanaka is here, by the way. <laughs> Hello, Kobe. Uh, joining us uh, in the flesh for the first time. You've been on the podcast a couple of times, um, or maybe once, but uh, some supporter specials as yes, well. That's right. Uh, Hamilton. But Hamilton, the Hamilton. Hamilton, Hot Fuzz. No, Hamil- no Hamilton was, was in the flesh. Oh, Hot was? Fuzz was in the flesh, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, right, okay. Yeah, uh, but this is the first time on the podcast uh, in the flesh. Uh, yes. Kobe, of course, is the host of Flix Watcher, yep. which recently celebrated a a landmark uh, podcast. What was the number, Kobe? Yeah, three hundred episodes. Hey. Three hundred. I laugh at your three hundred episodes. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I feel I should take over King's Place for a day yeah. and like celebrate. Yeah, um, like a that ten hour like the only, only recourse. Yeah. yeah. Do it. Oh, Flix Watcher extravaganza. Tell the folks at home what you did for your 300th episode of Flix Watcher and then we'll get did back on to Netflix. It. So what we do every episode is watch films off Netflix. But typically we get other guests on, such as all three of you guys have been on our show mm-hmm. and you guys pick the films. Mm-hmm. But uh, for every 100th episode, my, myself and my co-host Helen, we choose the films ourselves. Not so. this Helen, no, another different Helen. No, different yeah, Helen. Yeah, although yeah. I have been on, but yes. There are so, other Helens? There are other Helens. Turns out. <laughs> 
Indeed. The one we were saddled with. <laughs> it's Helen of Troy. Hey. And then there's <laughs> Helen Sadler, who's by Curse, and there's Helen Horace. There so that's just three of them. Helen Shapiro. <laughs> <laughs> Helen Highwater. This I know. <laughs> um, so we chose the films this time, and Helen chose The Irishman because she wants to watch the longest film in the world ever. Oof, and oh. I chose Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves because I hey. haven't seen it for a while. You watch the film. Which, which <laughs> version of it is on Netflix? Is it the theatrical or the ill-fated director's cut? It was the one that's very murky. I don't know which one. I'm, I'm not sure that <laughs> na- sure necessarily distinguishes. Yeah, yeah, the other one's quite upsetting. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I didn't know there were more than one version, so I, are, I didn't think yeah. but. Anyway, there was um, a rich man from Nottingham. <laughs> he tried to cross the river. <laughs> and he call, on a is it call off Christmas know. or cancel Christmas? What does he do? He calls off Christmas. Call off Christmas. Call off Christmas. No more alms for lepers and no, orphans. widows and orphans. Widows and orphans, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, Kobe, we've known you for some time. <laughs> but we did not know that Kobe here yeah. actually was a contestant. On gladiators. Contender is the right word. Contender. My apologies. My apologies. Kobe, who frankly has arms the size of hams. You know, you could have been Jack Reacher. Never mind the guy who plays Jack Reacher, whose name I believe is Jack Reacher. Jack Alan Richardson Reacher. So he does have a middle name now. Oh. He, he does, does. yes. Mm. Uh, but Kobe, um, you were on gladiators. I was all the years ago. Yeah, when? Tell us what happened. So I, 15 years ago, when I was slimmer and more active, I thought, yeah, let's go gladiators. What do you mean slimmer and more active? <laughs> You're putting you us all to shame right now. You that shit right now. <laughs> <laughs> when you came in here, I was very unhappy. <laughs> he tore the door off his hinges. It's true. Like, like, his bicep is larger than my waist. Um, well, so, in fact, it's kind of topical because at the time of the last writer's strike, the whole of the states went what do we do for TV shows so they created the gladiators again so they put and Kobe then, on TV, <laughs> on TV. <laughs> this might solve it and they're like no this isn't going to solve it um, but then the UK saw the gladiators on the states and thought let's do the same thing again and they relaunched it on Sky TV and I entered because I really wanted to see um, I really wanted to meet John Anson because I thought he's a legend and I loved the TV show he's the referee who went yeah. contenders ready Absolutely. gladiators ready <laughs> and at no point did I expect to be picked and I was and it was Horrific and brilliant at the same time. I, I very much enjoyed your little the sizzle reel that you put together to try and intimidate the gladiators, where you did lots of backflips. That's good. That's good. That's how I come into the podcast I, every really, week. It really does make my skin crawl watching what's that nonsense that you make you do. And it's the it's the blue steel that a lot of my friends are now call it, where I have to turn to the camera and, and posture, and I, that's not in my. I don't know. It was more the, the tigra as far yeah. as I was concerned. I, it was all magnum for me. <laughs> It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So, tell, so what? What? Very, very quickly, obviously, because sure. we do have to have a podcast at some point. Uh, what? So, what happened? Who? Who did you? Who did you find? So, it was a new. It was the previous crop of gladiators. So, Spartan. The first. The first game I did was the duel, which is the, the Spartan bin yeah. fire dumpster <laughs> <laughs> shoplift. <laughs> and um, let's be honest, I only got through one episode. <laughs> <laughs> but the spark kick you down a well. <laughs> Contenders ready, and you were like, "What?" I was like, I, was like, I, don't, <laughs> no, I don't know. Because it's great. We, we, we got sent to this country house and for a week and, and trained and had fun, and it was great. But then actually recording the show was like, "What the hell am I doing on top of a, a top of a pillar <laughs> with this like dressed in spandex with a giant cotton?" And, and that freaked me out. Honestly, honestly, I couldn't deal with that kind of pressure. <laughs> 
Did but you, it was fun. Were you like, immediately unseated from said pillar? Within within five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I Amazing. Mean, none of us could do better. So let's be honest here. Let, and 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 also, I'm worried about calling gladiators binfire and so on because they are much much bigger and fitter than any of us. Oh yeah, so. that was a long time ago. Yeah. I like to see them catch me now. <laughs> I absolutely can see them catching me now. I would be. My, my gladiator name at this moment in time would be knee crack. <laughs> 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 Oh dear lord! Oh, it's amazing. It's genuine. I, I honestly, this is. I, I think I'm more starstruck by you being in this room <laughs> than I have been by actual Steven Spielberg. And this is, this is incredible. Come on now, I didn't Come make on. ET. Did you mean so? So was this? This wasn't the era of fashion, El Rico, was it? No. This was so at Ian Wright and um, oh, what's her name? Oh, he's playing. Oh, oh, this is. Oh dear. Oh dear. This is this is. This we is we could help you out by googling, but we're not going to. I'm going to do a quick Google. She has dark hair. <laughs> <laughs> that narrows it down. Oh, oh, yeah, oh yeah, Kirsty Gallagher. Okay. Yeah, Kirsty yeah. Gallagher and yeah. Ian Wright, and they were amazing, and it was great. And as John uh, Anderson was absolute legend all the way through, and I met Jet. <laughs> Jet. <laughs> I met Jet. She wow. came. She came back, and I met Wolf. Hey. Uh, so yeah. But it was a whole new crop of gladiators, and we should say there's a new gladiator being yeah, filmed. At the yeah. Are yeah. you are you signing up again? I am not because, like I said, <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pod bod. Um, because it was kind of terrifying and, but also fun. I think I've done it. That's a mark in the sand. That's yeah. one thing talked off, and move on to the next thing. Wow. But it is lovely that due to the internet, it will live on forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's extraordinary. Guys, have you ever been on a proper TV show, like not film related or anything? Well, obviously, I was the principal star of Bonjour La Classe. And you know that because I am literally first billed on Bonjour La Classe's Wikipedia page. Thank you very much. I actually used to watch that. I actually generally used to watch that. Really? Yeah. So when you were saying in public TV, I'm like, I used to watch that. I've never told this before, but yeah. This is amazing. This is genuinely amazing. And of course, I won an episode of I Spy, the oh, wow. very short-lived kids game show when I was 11. Fantastic. What did you Maybe win? Maybe 12. Jesus fucking Christ, won, I've been a nothing. I won a cuddly toy lion that growls when you like squeezed it, but mm. like it's very old now because I'm not 11 anymore. Well, you still so, have it. So now it sort of goes... <laughs> I mean, it's, at my, it's obviously like at home at my parents' house. Sure. I, oh, I, don't, I don't have it's it not, like you know. in a box on a shelf yeah. um, in a sort of a shrine. Box. Yeah. Yes. yeah, the light's pointing at it. Yeah. I better not. This is disgraceful. This is you, an absolute You disgrace. were in Hostel too. No, that's, that's, that's connected to my job. That is. Ah, barely. <laughs> barely. Some would say not, you know? It's fine. Oh, dearie me. It is anyway. my eternal regret that I was not in the original Hitman film, which is <laughs> the director wanted to put me in Soon, James, thanks to AI, you yeah. will be. You will yeah. be. Uh, anyway, okay, let's, let's have a podcast breakout in the midst of all this mayhem. Uh, in the studio right now, we have TVs on the wall and... On the wall right now is BBC News, and BBC News is doing a piece about Tina Turner, who oh. passed away yesterday at the age of 83. The legendary Tina Turner, possessor of one of the greatest sets of pipes in uh, modern music, mm. uh, absolutely incredible singer. Mm. Uh, and of course, she was uh, an, an actress to, to, some, to some extent, you know, most notably, of course, as anti-entity in... George Miller's Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Yes. Uh, otherwise, she didn't really act that much. She she cameoed in Last Action Hero as the mayor, giving Arnie a bit of a dressing down. And now and again, she would show up in something probably as herself. I see here she was in an episode of Ally McBeal. I don't remember that. But, uh, you know, music videos and the like. Mm-hmm. 
But uh, her impact on the big screen was, was, of course, palpable. She sang the theme tune for GoldenEye, covered so beautifully and memorably by James Dyer every time we go to karaoke. (laughs) (laughs) Which reminds me, we must do that soon because Stevie Wong, Stevie Wong is coming into town, so we got to do some karaoke soon. Um, Do some admin (laughs) live on air here. Uh, Book out out a day in June. Um, And, you know, she had this incredible, incredible voice uh, Mm. as well. But uh, so... A lot of people asked us to talk about Tina Turner and um, a lot of people asked questions along the lines of who is our favourite musician slash singer turned actor. So let's talk about Tina Turner more specifically, first of all, and then throw a couple of other names at me. Mm. What do you think? How about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, look, I love her. I love her. I was I was heartbroken to hear the news last night because um, she was she was a legend and she was someone who had overcome an enormous amount in her personal life, um, basically abuse and coercive control in her in her relationship with Ike Turner. And then to basically come back from that to reinvent herself in the incredibly sexist, ageist, racist 80s as Tina Turner icon, yeah. I think is astonishing, astonishing. And that's documented, um, of course, in What's Love Got to What's Do With Love It. What's Love Got to Do With It, in the Starring. stage show, Tina, in the yeah. documentary, Tina Turner, which, by the way, if you haven't seen, is 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 brilliant. But yeah, you know, gave Angela Bassett one of mm-hmm. her great leading roles early on. Lawrence Fishburne as well. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne oh, yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, t- just her her kind of impact and her presence was was kind of legendary. I was gutted I missed her last tour. I was too poor last time she she toured to go and and see her, and I was I was always a bit upset about that. But um, yeah, absolutely incredible woman, mm. incredible woman. She's got some uh, truly astonishing songs where you can where you can drop at any time in any disco. It doesn't matter the make of the people. Mm. Everyone's going to get on the dance floor yeah. and and sing along to it and dance, and that's. That's rare. I yeah. think this, this mm. is one of a few people that does that. Um, and also in Shit's Creek. Yes, I was thinking about this. Yeah, there's that there's that version of uh, Simply the Best, which actually had me in tears because I think it was actually the first oh, time yeah. I'd heard I'd actually yeah. heard the lyrics of the song. And when it's really stripped back and played that well, I was just like, Oh my god, this is this is so much more than I ever thought it was going to be. Yeah, that's uh, the uh, there's an amazing yeah the the scene Kobe's talking about is uh, is in Shit's Creek. I can't remember which season it's in. Um, it's but one of the latter it's, ones, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah it's towards four the end. Or five, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's when Patrick, who's played by Noah Reed, who's a who's a very very fine recording artist in his own right as well, uh, basically sings simply the best uh, to to Dan Levy's uh, David, and it's a kind of declaration of love, and it's mm. it's just this beautiful moment. Yeah, that's right. And they both didn't they end up singing it like Dan Levy also. I think Dan Levy joined in towards it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just this, yeah, it's, it's, it's a gorgeous really, really, really gorgeous moment. Um but uh where do you stand on Tina Turner in Beyond Thunderdome? And are you surprised she didn't act more? Yeah, you know, a lot of people seem to get the taste for it, like, you know, your Jaggers and your Bowies and your mm-hmm. Madonnas. And obviously they still have to fit it in around being these yeah. huge commercial recording stars. But uh she was pretty much a one and done. Pretty much. I mean, I, I love that last action hero cameo because it makes it like, who are you get? Who are you going to get to tell off Arnie credibly? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Who is who is realistically going to have authority <laughs> over, Arnold, over Schwar- Arnold Schwarzenegger? <laughs> and and the answer is, of course, Tina Turner. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I, I thought that was witty, really clever casting and really fun on her part. I mean, look, uh, the, the early Mad Max films are not my favourites, but she's perfect perfect for that role. You know, she's larger than life. She's as are her earrings. As are her earrings. <laughs> as as is that hair. My mm. God. I mean, honestly, when you said she had a great set of, I honestly thought you were going to finish with legs because she had incredible legs. Very famously, yeah. Um, mm. uh, amazing, amazing dancer. Oh my God, what a loss! What a loss, Jimbo. 
You a big fan of Beyond Thunderdome? I think my rendition of Goldeneye speaks mm. to the deep reverence <laughs> I have for Tina Turner. Uh, it's spectacular. I will I mean, now perform it for you. you. Your, your uh, rendition is spectacular, but also <laughs> Tina Turner's Goldeneye is spectacular. Indeed, yes. No, I, spectacular. I, I, I mean, uh, Beyond Thunderdome is, is not what I would call a Mad Max high point, but she's a lot of fun in it. And I, you know, if you were to pick anyone in the world to say the line, Master Blaster runs Buttertown, <laughs> she's who I would choose to do it. Is that a line Every it? time. I need to listen to more. I need to understand the lyrics. I need to watch the lyrics as she sings. I, I don't actually know anything, anything she's singing. I just like <laughs> love her voice so much. Is that oh, a- come on. She's a great person to sing along with. Oh, it is. Oh. River Deep, Mountain High. Ah. Oh. Oh. I mean, you will speed if you're singing that in the car. Like, I don't recommend it. But, yeah. you know. Crashes have happened. She is, yeah. She is. She's an incredible, incredible singer. Yeah. Oh. Very oh. much so. Well, well uh, let's, let's tackle the question for one of a better phrase. So, who who do you think, who's your favorite musician turned actor? They can still be a musician principally, but who stands out for you? I'm sure we've tackled this question before, but probably mm. a long, long time Almost ago. Almost certainly. I Taylor just, Swift says James. Yeah, Taylor Swift <laughs> in, in really everything she ever chooses to be in, including cats. Uh, yes, wow. absolutely. And of course, her upcoming, undoubtedly Oscar-winning film that she's directing. Uh, but uh, I, I mean, I have to get out of the way. It's not the answer, but I have to say Sting because of course he's in Dune. Uh, <laughs> Massage in a bottle. <laughs> Message in a bottle, indeed. Um, um, but weirdly, I have I have a lot of time for Jerome Flynn. Just gonna just gonna just gonna say that he's gone rogue for Jerome Flynn. He's gone rogue already. <laughs> was he was he a musician first? Yeah, he was already Rob's an actor. Yeah, he know, was but, already an actor. Yeah, but, but you can you can go from Sam one thing to another thing, then come back again. Like it's sort of the boomerang effect, isn't it? No, but this is about musicians. So, so you have, so it has to be someone actors. who is surfing the wave of their musical success. Into so screen I would so, say so. We have to eliminate the cast of Neighbours at this point. <laughs> that seems harsh. Okay, sorry Craig McLaughlin, sorry Natalie Even though Guy Pearce is going back to Neighbours. He is going back to yeah. Neighbours, but you're derailing it. Uh, so As you we're know. eliminating people who Steady. were actors. Yes, we actually are. Sorry guys. Uh, <laughs> and then turned musicians. So yes, Robson and Jerome, <sighs> no. Sorry. Robson Green starred, uh, he shot an episode of Touching Evil in My Road. <laughs> true, true story. Because he just pointed at you and then, <laughs> then trying to touch you. No. Uh, but yeah. So, All right. okay. Well, he's um, disqualified. Fine. Okay. Fuck I'm, you. I'm going to, perhaps controversially, that j- just because she's come to mind, I'm going to say Madonna because I really like her in Dick Tracy. And I think she did a very good job in Evita. And I'm not going to talk about any of her other films. Thank you very much. <laughs> the defense Why rests. <laughs> but I but I genuinely I love I love her and Dick Tracy. I think she delivered the Sondheim songs brilliantly. I think it's a really fun character. And um and it kind of again, it played on her persona, it played on everything that she was known for and good at, but kind of gave us some new shades and gave us some new colour as well. Body of Evidence is one of my favourite films, so I thought you were going to mention that. Sorry, oh, sorry. Any day now, Coe, any day now. Now. Body of evidence. It's not. I just wanted to say it. I don't know why I wanted to say it, but it just came out of my face. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, talk about your indefensible positions. <laughs> I'm going to posit someone who I think, uh, what's new. Aquafina. She's very, very that's good. good. Yeah. She's very good. If we're also talking recent stars, Janelle Monae yes. is a very, oh, very good call. Yes. I mean, a, that's a great shot. Two Oscar-nominated films. I think yeah. in one year, Hidden yeah. Figures and Moonlight were the same yeah. year. Yeah. So. That's a way to turn on to your presence. And then she had lots of fun in Glass Onion. Yes, yes. really yeah. did. Yeah. Technically, yeah. we could say Idris Elba. Mm. 
He did, did. Because obviously, I mean, he started out obviously as a DJ, but he did release, uh, I don't know if it was an album or a single or an EP, it was something like, he released something <clears throat> in the noughties before Luther made him a health Luther. Uh, Wait, wait, wait. Name, so. so hang on, before Luther, but you didn't say before The Wire. I did not say before the wire. <laughs> However, he was DJing before the wire, and that could be considered musical. Uh, I no, no, disqualified. Absolutely Shit. disqualified. Disqualified. Yeah. Uh, uh, do you know musicians, James? Do you want me to? Do you want I'm to familiar vaguely with the concept. Suggest a few of them, real quick. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a few people like Jamie Foxx who I'd love to put in there, but he was, he was an actor first and comedian yeah. first before yeah. music, yeah. which is yeah. Will Smith was music first, though, yeah. right? So he was I'm allowed first. to have he, he, was, he technically yes. was. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. fair. Yeah, although I mean, no, actually, genuinely, that is fair because I, I read his autobiography and he does talk about basically the the fame he already had as a rapper. No, he was, he was, yeah, he absolutely was. Fresh yeah. Prince, Fresh so yeah, mm-hmm. that's okay. Yeah, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll accept Will Smith. That's a good one. <laughs> that is a good one. That is a good one. You have done well. Yes, thank you. By the way, thank you. Uh, I mean, I, you mentioned Bowie and Jagger already. It's got to be Bowie. <laughs> it's got to be Bowie, hasn't it? Bowie, because he was actually a good actor. He was. Actually <laughs> actor, yeah. He was actually a good actor. Whereas Jagger, I don't know. Jagger, Jagger's hey, interesting. Have you seen he? Free Jack? <laughs> <I am. laughs> I interviewed Jagger last year. Hello, Chris. For slow uh, horses. Yeah, for slow horses. Um, it was, it was. He was, he was not as into it as I was. <laughs> I interviewed Mick Jagger on the red carpet for Enigma because they used his, Enigma, his Enigma machine in the film Enigma. That's true. That's yeah, true. He, was a, he was a producer, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, and he owns an Enigma machine. He World's slowest car chases in that film. I have a few more suggestions. <laughs> I was just going to say on the David Bowie. Yeah. His, David uh, Bowie. in Prestige. Um, yes. Ah, love it. Yeah. I love him in um, John Landis's Into the Night. He's great. He's great. And uh, he plays a, a, a British assassin called Colin Morris, who just pops up halfway through the film and terrorizes Jeff Goldblum and then leaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, fair ex- enough. But actually, the last time we see him, if I'm right in thinking, he's battling Carl Perkins, the Carl Perkins, the guy who sang Blue Suede Shoes uh, before wow. Elvis Presley. So there's another. Uh, and there's another uh, musician turned actor, and of course, the king, Elvis Presley. That's fair, but I have I have the right answer. Oh, is it yeah. one you're, of you're the dis- ices? You're discounting Elvis. I'm ice? not discounting Elvis. You're but dismissing like, Elvis. Elvis was not perhaps known as like the greatest actor in the world. Whereas that's I, harsh. That's I have harsh, an Oscar but true. winner. Oh, okay. I have an Oscar winner. Uh, okay. okay. Will Smith isn't that one of them? Oscar okay, winner. he also was a Will Smith. Sorry. Will Smith, okay, also technically an Oscar winner. If we're, but we're we're not going to get into that whole thing. Is this one we? one of the ISIS? <laughs> T or cube? It is not T or <laughs> ISIS. Yeah, no, we're, we're discounting not a member I- of ISIS. <laughs> one of the ISIS. Those guys are being discounted. Yeah. Wow, ISIS plural. Share, share, and share alike. And share alike. Um, she has been consistently very good. She's in Moonstruck, which is a mm-hmm. terrific film, which is the one that got her the Oscar, isn't it? Mask. If I remember correctly. Um, mm-hmm. Mask, yeah. Mask. mask yes, yeah. yes, Mask, yes. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And, and of course, Burlesque. I love Mermaids. I just really Who doesn't it love recently. Mermaids? Great movie. Shoop Shoop Song. Shoop Shoop Song, it's indeed. It's in his kiss. It is. Apparently. Mm. Um, but yeah, Cher is a great, is a great uh, example, I think, of music musician turned actor. Lady Gaga is doing good work. Gaga! Justin Timberlake's surprisingly mm. solid. Yeah, he yeah. is. I've, I've I've touched him. Uh, <laughs> I, I, gen, I genuinely have. I shook his hand at a round table once. My hand didn't go through him, so he is. So he is, as, as you say. <laughs> and a personal favorite, who none of you will probably agree with, but Queen Latifah. Yeah, Queen, mm. I like Queen Latifah. I like Queen Latifah yeah. a lot. Yeah. 
Yeah. She's got a really good screen presence. And I think Last Holiday is a genuinely charming film. Are you surprised that there are certain people, certain uh, artists over the years who haven't turned their hand towards acting? Because I think the, the, the two uh, disciplines mm-hmm. are quite similar. And obviously they do a lot of music videos. Like Dave Grohl, for example, has yeah. has shown that he's he can dabbled. he could do some yeah. decent comedy work, but he's yeah. never he's never become like a proper actor. But you, you sense that it would be in him should mm-hmm. he decide to. Uh, but you know, Michael Stipe never really mm-hmm. acted, probably because no uh, no sound man on earth would be able to discern what he was saying. He just mumbled all the way through that take. I have no idea what the fuck he just said. Uh, you know, there's got there's got to be other people like that. Tom York, a Radiohead. Bono. Bono, Bono hasn't really acted. Like, Bono, he's been in stuff. Yeah, but he hasn't really acted. And I, I do kind of feel it in his case. Like, I feel like he is... Oh, no, wait, no, sorry. He's in, he's in Sing 2. No, he's just inserted himself into Lawrence of Arabia and uh, <laughs> is now on my phone. He is now playing oh. Lawrence of Arabia. I mean, genuinely, when are they going to be forgiven for that? Like, <laughs> never. 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 No, never. No, but genuinely, never. like, there are artists out there who have done genuinely bad shit. <laughs> <laughs> but you terrible. two are the ones who will never Here, be forgiven. Here, have something for free. Fuck you! <laughs> I, I will never understand it. And they are... I think still, I, they are still some of the best people I've ever seen live. I think the problem with that, the problem with that, is that the album that they put on their on your phone for free Wasn't was not their best. their best. If they put, say, an Actong Baby or yeah, sure. even uh, a How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb on there, I think you might have been okay with it. I don't think it's that. For me, it's like if they give you if if you if you use an analogy of using the house, if they just popped a free CD in your, into your door doorway, fine, and you and the, or you woke up one morning and said. By the way, you can download brand new U2 album for free. Mm. That's one thing. But it's like breaking into your house, yeah, but I don't think going like, to your CD cabinet, putting, putting the CD in right in the, in the in the. It in took the them place. ages as well. The Edge had to do it physically. And yeah. so I woke so, up one morning to find The Edge lowering himself from the ceiling. Okay, but like on the other hand, the, the mechanics were probably not chosen by them. Those were probably chosen by Apple. Phil Collins. Steve and Jobs. You, you all don't give a shit about <laughs> But seriously, no, Chris. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Genuinely, Phil Collins. Phil Collins. It was Buster. good in Buster. Mm. Ah, was he? He did start as an actor first. Oh. Did he? He was, he was a child actor. Yeah, was he? he was. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, you know, Mandy Patinkin started in musical theatre. Does that yeah. count? Before Princess Bride? Before everything, really? <sighs> you can see no, because no, they're, they're, he's that's a trained been a actor. Musical that's a theatre actor. Went like, to Juilliard. He went to Juilliard. Yeah, Juilliard is a school for, among oh, other no. things, musical theatre. You know, if one, yeah. One of my favourites is uh, Stevie Van Zandt. Yeah, uh, played Silvio yeah. in yes. The Sopranos. I didn't know he was a guitarist. I didn't know. I, I know very little. Sorry, Ben, Travis. I'm sure you're listening to this, and hopefully, you don't list me as the next person to kill. Um, but he's the lead guitarist for the E Street Band. Yeah, and he wasn't. Literally, didn't know that. Um, so Paulie Walnuts was the drummer. <laughs> True story. <laughs> uh, Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg. Uh, <laughs> Marky Mark minus the Funky Bunch. That's the that, way to talk no. about testicles. Yeah. Um, was yes. that discussed in the film recently? Was it, fast, was it a Fast X, them talking about Marky Mark? Did they talk about Marky Mark in Fast X? No, Marky Mark, the, the Funky Bunch song is in is Fast in X. X. Right. Okay. So that's so. how Mark Wahlberg, because Mark Wahlberg feels like someone who should have been <laughs> yes. in a yeah. Fast and Furious movie by now. But they, they got him in by sort of, you know. Ah, that's a really good one. Mark Wahlberg is a genuine, that's a, he's been Oscar yeah. nominated yeah. several times. Yeah. He's been in several 
excellent movies. He's also been in a load of shit, but that's that's fine. Uh, but he is a genuinely good actor. I think Helen mm-hmm. just said the answer. I what? think I did. Sinatra. Sinatra. Frank, actual Sinatra, unquestionably Frank. started as a musician. He did. As a big star and then got into acting and did a string of really great work. But, crucially, was he in Blade? <laughs> because Chris James. Christopherson was in Blade. <laughs> James has just said the right answer is screw you, Sinatra. The Whistler right takes it. The right answer if you're Alan Partridge, yeah. <laughs> it's a shame we never got to see his parents. I would love to know who was Whistler's <sighs> mother. Hey. And people say we're not cultured. <laughs> on this podcast do. yeah people do me usually <laughs> with good reason <laughs> if you want to have your question read out in the Emperor podcast you can get in touch with me on Twitter I'm at Chris Hewitt uh, slide in my DMs if you fancy or reply to any of my tweets once you've stopped laughing of course or just reply to a panicked shout out every now and again shall we have a guest let's do it who should we have let's start with Javier Bardem because the king comes first as it were King Triton all right, King Triton. So The Little Mermaid is the latest Disney live-action animation adaptation, uh, which is out this week. Rob Marshall is directing this one, and it is an adaptation of... Hang on. The Little Mermaid, uh, which is a film that came out a few years ago and is about... Um, a, a Little Mermaid. <laughs> I've only seen it once. Uh, You've she, only seen it... Well. I've only seen The Little Mermaid once, and that was only a few months ago. Okay. I know. Mm. I know. I mean, it's 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 good. <sighs> How dare you? Let's not get carried sir. away. How dare you? It's no minions. Let's be honest. That is correct. We all, we got to be honest with ourselves here. To its benefits. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kobe. Oh, Kobe. Contender ready. Um, anyway, it's been remade uh, in live action with an all-star cast. Halle Bailey um, is the Little Mermaid and there are many of her wonderful chums are playing by... <laughs> I have no idea about any of this movie. Um, there are many, many wonderful people in this movie, including Melissa McCarthy as Evil Mermaid. Herschel. There is uh, There is... Little fella from from Room as Flappy Flappy Mermaid Mermaid. Um, he's a fish. He's a fish. Mm-hmm. And uh, David Diggs, who will be on the show later on, he is a Lafayette a Mermaid. Sebastian. <laughs> and uh, and of course Javier Bardem is in this as Mr. Mermaid, King the King Triton. of all the mermaids, oh, King Triton. And we sent. Helen along mm. to speak to Javier Bardem. Was this in person or was this on Zoom? Sadly, on Zoom. Because Helen, quite frankly, will not leave her flat for more than ten for less than ten thousand dollars a day, uh, and so she decided to just get on Zoom and have you bar down, despite the fact he was just down the road. Laziness, quite frankly. Uh, oh my God. Anyway, you set it up. You knock him down. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, Helen talking to Javier Bardem, presumably entirely in Spanish. Wouldn't put si. a pastor. Si, completamente. Si, si, barone. Danger mouse. Now that's an animated movie that needs a live action remake. Mm. Well, not a movie, but you know, a cartoon. Remake Danger Mouse, you cowards. Here's Javier Bardem. Shush. <laughs> Go, chief. Javier, good morning. How are you doing? Oh, how are you? Good morning. So, so what's your what's what was your sort of relationship, I guess, with The Little Mermaid before this? Had you seen the cartoon, maybe with your kids, or? Yeah, I'm 54 years old, so I saw it back in the day. I saw it on big screen. Oh, you did? Oh, cool. When? But I was I was young and I saw it and I liked it. I I'm not I I'm not not I wasn't a huge fan of musicals, mm. but I remember that being one uh one musical that I I liked very much. 
And then after that, I've seen it many times with my kids and with other people's kids. And uh, yeah, and that's that's the relationship I have with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it, it's something that you had potentially like strong feelings about then, like because I do. I'm a huge, huge fan of the original, and uh, you know, you you kind of you want to be protective of it. You want to know that it's it's in good hands, and it must have been great coming into this and seeing you know Alan Menken still involved and and you know that that team assembled around him. Absolutely, and not only that, but uh, there is a song that I sing that I sang called Impossible Child, that is an original song from Alan Menken and Lin-Manuel Miranda, that for for length purposes, which I understand, but mostly because it would kind of give away a little bit the ending of the movie mm-hmm. by the emotional journey that the song explores into King Triton's feelings. Uh, it was chosen not to be in the movie by now, for now, which I understand. Uh, but it's gonna be as, as an extra in the in the in the, when the movie comes out in the platform, yeah. and I'm I'm and I'm very happy about it because we work hard on it, and also as you were saying, for me to work on an original song from Alan Menken, it's a it was it is a big deal. Yeah, well, I was going to ask about the song actually. Like, what what was that like? Did he, you know, do you have a range that he wrote to your range, or was it just here's the song, go sing it? Uh, they they brought the song and they were they were uh, dealing with uh, the range, uh, but at the same time, uh, they were asking me to go to certain places with it, which I thought, yeah, that's why I would do this. Otherwise, I mean, it's not I'm not Holly Bailey. I mean, I I, <laughs> I, I sing, I'm not not only a, a ten thousand time, uh, it's a ten thousandth of her quality. But uh, and also it was my first time I would sing a song mm-hmm. because this was in 2020. Then the pandemic happened. But after that, I did Being the Ricardos, which I sang four songs, and then Lilac Crocodile, which I sang three songs. But the very first song was this song. So for me, it was a big deal. <laughs> so no pressure. Your first song in a movie is by Alan Menken and Lin-Manuel Miranda, and they're both Presumably standing around watching you do it. No pressure, though. No pressure at all. Uh, <laughs> Rob Marshall helped me a big deal because Rob Marshall helps you to do anything you want. Rob Marshall will ask you to leap off a cliff and you will go, you know what? You're right. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds That's like not- a great idea, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask about just the process of filling this movie because... I, I know a few people in VFX, and I've heard you know they haven't been telling tales out of school, but they've told me this was a very complicated, difficult film to make. Because and and having seen it, I I understand that now. Just that the level of the effects in this is astonishing. What was that like on set? Because you are presumably there. There's probably some dots around the place um, to give you you know eye lines or on your face so they can match things. You know h- how what were the rigs like that you were in to give that kind of ocean feeling? How did that work? Well, the thing is, of course, one thing when he watches the movie or she watches the movie that it would have been very complicated. And the answer is not at all. And that's the grandiosity of Rob Marshall. The whole pressure for him that I can only imagine, I don't know, but I can only imagine, that would be for him to create this world, it was humongous. But he protected all the cast from that in the terms of we were rehearsing, like in a little theater comp, like a little theater company. We were wearing our suits. We were uh, uh, 
repeating the scenes, working on the scenes, rewriting the scenes. And then we went, we went to the set. Yes, there was blue screens and we were on the rigs and these things called forks that will make us move like fishes. Everyone will have like four or five people to move that rig. So it was a choreography. Like you cannot do, hey, how are you? No, if you, if you decide to do that, you have to say that in advance so people know how to move correctly. So that was a little bit complicated, but at the same time, when we were playing the scenes, it was just us, the people that were moving us, and we felt like we were doing a little production in uh, off off Broadway theater uh, stage. That's how good Bram Marshall is. Yeah. Then I sit down, I watch the movie, and I go, "How in the world did they do that?" Because I never saw any of that, and I never felt not. We never felt the pressure of boom. Mm big production CGI thing over our shoulders. We never feel that. Yeah, well, that's that's a that's a good way to be then. And and tell me about then playing King Triton himself. I mean, in the cartoon, he is the most bare-chested man in history. Um, so were you, were you a little bit worried about that until no, they told you you've got an no, outfit? I said, uh, what about an armor? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I was uh, 2020, no, 2019 is when he offered me the role. That is four years ago. I was 50. I was 50 years old. And I said, I think I have, I'm okay with the arms, but maybe I have, I don't have the abs that the cartoon has. But even though he, I would have worked hard for that, but he said, no, no, I don't want any of that. He he wants to, he wanted from the first moment to have an armor, which I think is best because otherwise it's too, it's too distracting. Yeah. Uh, by, by some means to have somebody always bare chest walking around. Uh, and it was a very good relief. It was a big relief for me. <laughs> um, but still, we have to work hard. We have to be very fit, all of us, because those rigs and those things uh, implies a lot of core work. Mm. Or, and, uh, and we have to be able to stand and get our, our horizontal and move around without <clears throat> making it too too static, too, I don't know, it had to be fluid, fluid. kind of thing, yeah. That, you need to be you know, on shape. Yeah, absolutely. And and how did you feel? I mean, the armor was gorgeous, kind of power shell kind of a look. And then the Triton, you've got the Triton as well, or Trident, sorry. Yeah, the first time I, I, I saw myself in the mirror with the armor, the Trident, the beard, the hair, it was a wig, a beautiful wig. So well, so well done because Gray white hair is very complicated for the weeks, and the crown. I feel like holy shit! How am I going to justify all of this? <laughs> you really have to play correctly in order to make believe that you own all of this, right? And uh, as anybody, as as one person said, I don't know who was that person said, when you play a king, you don't act like a king. You make sure that people treat you like a king. Ah. So, I was doing my method acting. I was walking on the set, like making everybody treat me like a king. <laughs> that must have been very tough for you. Yeah, it's yes. so tough. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one of the things that I, I liked about this this film was that you, they've really kind of played up and I think developed the relationship that Triton has with all of his daughters yeah. a little bit. And then in particular, obviously, you know, with Ariel, that remains a sort of a core part of the film. So can you tell me about meeting meeting the gang um, yes. of uh, the gaggle of girls, basically. Well, uh, I met them 
back in the day in the rehearsals. And as you see, they're all beautiful and very young. And I feel like so old, like really? I have so so grown-up daughters already? Okay. And um, for me to say, hey, welcome my daughters and see all these beautiful girls, you're like, really? I am in that moment now? <laughs> I, I used to be... I used to be the boyfriend of those. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, what is amazing is that uh, every one of them, they were doing they were doing all these classes about how to swim and how to move, and they were all in the rigs as well. And every one of them, they will have their own style to to swim around. and uh, and I ask, why do I have so many different? daughters uh and and he said because you have one for each c seven daughters seven c's and you got the essence of that c mm. when when the reproduction happened so okay that's a nice answer <laughs> i i figured it must be something like that i mean i feel like you know we're, we're talking people with fishtails, so we can probably absolutely, overthink it absolutely. but but it felt like there was something like that kind of explanation going on exactly. <laughs> and how about Hallie as well? Because she, I hadn't really followed her pop career, I'll be honest. She blew me away. She looks like a live action Disney princess. She has the awesome. eyes of a Disney Disney cartoon. She's amazing. I met her in the rehearsals. I, I didn't know who she was when they told me, when Rob told me, it's Holly Bailey. I was like, okay, cool. I don't know. So I, I, went, I was there. I went there and then I saw her. She was, that's 2019. So she was. Four years younger, I think she was eighteen or seventeen. Wow! And uh, and then she has this aura and this light and this within her that goes out like in currents, like constantly pouring out. And and then she starts saying, and it was like, Jesus, what is this creature from from out of space? I mean. It, she had it. She had it. She was that. She is that. She is such a beautiful soul. And she really is. And of course, everybody was like, okay, it's her first movie. It's her first performing uh, performance. Let's see. She was nailing it. She was nailing it. Every time I repeat any take on Little Mermaid, it was because of me. It was because <laughs> I was wrong. It was because I... I, I missed the line or because some technical reasons. She was perfect in every take. I was amazed by the quality of precision that she that she has. And then she sings. And then you forget about everything in the world. You go, what is that voice? Hmm. So I'm so happy for her because she truly deserves all the good things that are happening and, and uh, that, is, that is happening to her. Yeah, absolutely. And and also, you know, the other sort of iconic role, I guess, in this film is Melissa McCarthy as Ursula. Um, and again, I was I was worried about this. I'll be like, she has big tentacles to fill. Those that is a a hell of a role. Um, what what was it like working with her in that role? Well, it's funny because we work only for one day, but we've been doing the promotion uh uh now like together for like for four or five days. And here is when I, I'm meeting her. I'm having <laughs> She's so funny. She's so smart and so intelligent. So such a great actress. Uh, but the day that we worked together, uh, there was a moment where there's a moment where she talks to me from my back, and I had goosebumps because I feel like, oh fuck, she's nailing it. Because I didn't see anything before before that of her. 
I was hearing, oh, Melissa is doing something fantastic. And I said, I'm sure she's doing it. But then when I, I heard how she was playing with the text and with the music of the lines, it's like, wow, she's Ursula. And look, I have goosebumps. Goosebumps. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, it's yeah, it's. I mean, it's been a very, very busy couple of years for you. I think the last time I spoke to you was for Dune, and of course, you got part two coming up later this year. Will you be doing more singing there? Then is that is that something we can look forward to? I said to the knee because after Mermaid and Cro Crocodile and uh, being the Ricardos, and I said, the knee is time for me to sing a song over the over the worm, the worms, the worms, the worms. <laughs> But oh my god! It, amazing. Yeah, but he didn't sound very. He didn't seem very, very happy about it. That's I, just weird. Because, it's funny because the other day I was talking about this with somebody I don't know who. Rob Marshall and Denis Villeneuve belong to this very select group of human beings that are so highly talented. Each one in their own manner, in their own way, but also how beautiful people they are and in both in both cases they were dealing they are dealing with huge movies and they never make you feel that you were uh under the pressure of that Denis Villeneuve the, exactly the same thing he will put the camera sometimes he will operate the camera himself some uh Greg pressure otherwise and or other amazing cameramen and we'll just let's play the scenes and he's like, really? This is Dune. And then you see it and you go, wow, what what are capable of doing with what we were doing like in a little independent movie? It's amazing. That, and that's because they have the talent of knowing where to take you for you to belong to that huge landscape without losing the heart of it. Yeah. Yeah. They're focusing your bits on you and getting that performance right. Yeah. It's amazing. I can't, can't wait to see that one. Really enjoyed this one. It. Yeah. I <laughs> I was there, and I can only <laughs> say that it looks spectacular. The sets, the costumes, the the, the light, the 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 the, um, the places we were shooting. Mm. It, it is crazy the 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 amount of the amount of um, talent all together at the same time happening in one moment. It was overwhelming. It's amazing. Well, listen, thank you so much for talking to us and uh, hopefully see you back in, you know, the Little Mermaid 2 continuing yeah. adventures or something well, down there. We're road. sisters and we're sister and brother. So, <laughs> so yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Cheers. Oh. Okay, so that was Javier Bardem. Now it is time to bounce straight into the movie news. What is happening? Has anything been happening? Some things have happened. Some things have happened. So, should we start with the incredibly dry, tedious streaming news, which is point one is that the Netflix password crackdown has begun mm -hmm. no. uh, on both sides of the pond. So, those of you who share your logins are soon to get slapped. I don't share my by logins. The big N. Well, then you're fine. Uh, but yes, people are going to have to no start Kenny paying. Logins. No, Kenny no Kenny logins. No Kenny logins. Because <laughs> <laughs> that takes you right into the danger zone. Uh, hey. you, um, yeah, you're going to have to pay. I think it's four ninety nine if you want to add someone to your account, and you can only do that if you're like one of the higher tier Netflix subscribers. What? Uh, otherwise, they send Arnold. Schwartz Schwarzenegger around your house <laughs> to punch you in the face for, and this is the other part of the Netflix news because he's just been appointed their chief action officer, I mean, uh, presumably a, solely to enforce the that, password sharing. Isn't this just a nonsense? Why are we recording this? It's a nonsense. Okay, but uh, yeah, so it's just some press PR nonsense. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Right. it is just nonsense. He's driving a tank. It's because Fubar is out today. 
before all our sins. Right. Uh, and Arnold is coming, his kind of three-part uh, biopic documentary, no, thing, which actually I'm quite excited yeah. to see, mm. not biopic, documentary, uh, which, I'm, which I'm looking forward to. Mm. So that'd be good. So I guess I can't believe that's what you chose to leave. <laughs> well, no, so, and so, I mean, we can segue from that into other tedious streaming news, which is obviously the Disney Plus news. Yeah. That shit is evaporating from that service. And obviously they've walked back some of it, but things like Willow, things like Why the Last Man are going to essentially vanish Today. Completely. Mm. Today. And by the time uh, you're listening to this, it'll 100%. Be today. Yeah. And, you know, which is, you know, they told us we didn't need physical media anymore. They, and they lied. lied. They lied. Um, but this is yeah. this is unbelievably shit for people who worked really hard on that show. Yeah. Yes. Um, Although the showrunner of Willow went on went online and went, "Yeah, it's fine. I don't mind. It's all yeah, good." Yeah, I couldn't oh, get I couldn't get Disney that. films when I was growing up. So this is this <laughs> yeah. is totally fine. I mean, this is great for that one person, but you know, for the hundreds and probably thousands of people who did, you know, VFX and production like design and costumes and so mm. on. Yeah, not just residuals, but also you know your chance of showing your work to your next would be employer is is much more difficult mm. with this kind and of And both shit. Willow and Why the Last Man were decent. They were yeah. good like, shows. You know, yeah, we they just I was disappointed in the first place there wasn't going to be season two of Why, yeah. but then to actually go to extra level shithousery and yeah. remove it from the Why, platform. God, why? The yeah. Last why? Man. And this is, I mean, those are just two shows among dozens. Yeah, among a lot of things that are, that that are going. That have, have gone. And that's, you know, it's, a, it's, a, you know there's, it's obviously pretty, it's even worse really, isn't it, to, to wipe out a film just for tax reasons and mm. not even show it to anyone. But it's, you know, and the fourth season, I think, was a Snowpiercer never saw the light of day either. Okay. Uh, uh, so, I guess it's all egregious. I hate, I hate all it, of it's, this. It's, it's, again, it, I think that's the thing, isn't it? It just makes you feel a bit dirty. It's like, it's mm. all just horrible. It's now, now that Netflix, now they've joined the kind of Netflix ranks of canning things early, removing them from the platform. Yeah. It does make me start to want to cherry pick a bit more which yeah. months I choose to subscribe to things. And I think maybe it's the false economy on their side, but it's just not, it's just not good feelings. Yeah. It's, yeah, it does make you think, well, what's the point of sort of being subscribed all the time? Yeah. If, you know, it's just now and again. I, I, I just think that this is, um, Look, I get, I mean, they're, they're basically, I think, they, they seem to want to avoid paying residuals um, yes. to the people who made these shows, um, because God forbid they actually pay people who make things um, in this world. Uh, I think that's not great. They may want to, you know, license them out to other streaming services, so they may start doing the rounds of other, you know, other services, but that seems bizarre, and it seems to undermine the whole you know, the whole case for signing up to, say, Disney Plus yeah. or Netflix or whichever one. I I think, I you know, I get that the streaming, you know, Dawn, the promises of the streaming Dawn have been somewhat false promises and that they have not uh, miraculously made all the money in the world that they expected to somehow make with these with these streaming services that they've set up. But I don't know that this is the answer, and no. I don't think it is going to encourage people to sign up for their services. Um, and, and I think it's just foolish not to, you know, have their back catalogue be available. Surely that is the appeal of a mm-hmm. studio streaming service, yeah. Absolutely for Disney, yeah. And, and the other thing is, you know, how many of these bloody services are we going to have to sign up to to be able to see things, you know? David Saslav, I think it was this week, who you oh. know, is kind of the poster child for these terrible decisions that are being made by studios at the moment, including, of course, you know, not paying their writers. Uh, and we are also, you know, in the increasingly looming shadow of a possible uh, actor's strike and then maybe a director's strike. Mm. I think it's more likely the actor's strike than director's, but uh, perhaps it will be solidarity and all three will go on strike uh, in <laughs> at some point, which will make producing this show interesting wow. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know fair play to them because they, they need to get paid and they need to put in safeguards against AI but anyway Saslav who mm. of course is the the head of Warner Brothers Discovery and is very well paid for doing so um, 
and he's been saying things like uh, that he sees a potential future where studios come together to offer kind of like a package deal where streaming can be consolidated. So in they're that basically way. So reinventing not, cable. They're reinventing cable. I mean, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like this is it's the same time when Which is what you get. It's the same Sky. thing when when Uber realized that a lot of their cars in San Francisco were going along the same routes at the same time of day to deliver a bunch of people to mm. Google or whatever and suggested that maybe they could have bigger cars that would go on a regularly scheduled intervals allowing more people to travel at once. <laughs> Sounds like something else. And everyone went buses. You've invented <laughs> fucking buses. Are you kidding me? It's that again. It's like, "Oh, you You've invented cable. Well fucking done. I mean, Zaslav made a couple of more unforced errors recently. He, <laughs> he unbranded HBO Max and yes. decided we don't need the HBO mm-hmm. label anymore because it's only one of the most recognised and respected labels in the world of entertainment. It's so not let's TV, get rid of that. it's Max. <sighs> And then they, they had this great idea where they decided that on their, their site, instead of having pesky you know, nitpicky categories like director and writer and producer, they would just have creators all at once. So suddenly, you know, you have like Raging Bull created by Martin Scorsese, Paul Schrader, etc. But it wasn't just that, it's that they also they were just smooshing all these names in together. So the cast would be in there as well. But also when they had a cast, the cast list was separate. And a lot of this was that it was all launched very, very quickly. And, you know, I'm sure we've we've all been there and you're just throwing shit at the wall and see what sticks and then walking things back afterwards or revising things afterwards. Um, And they revised this very, very quickly the DGA were not happy about that and I mean, they, they, got, they got it to A be million lawyers were busy retracted. sharpening their pens. Very much so. <laughs> you know. But uh, because they threw all the cast members in as well, they had, they paid no real attention. Sometimes you, you get this if you look at something on, say, the IMDb or Prime or something like that. The, the cast list will bear no resemblance to the actual importance of the roles. Mm. So if you looked at Raging Bull, you would think that Frank Vincent is the lead actor in Raging Bull and not, of course, Joe Pesci. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I know who the lead actor is, Rachel Bull. It's Bono. <laughs> he's, Somebody he's, out there. He's in my phone now. Quaking. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just been it's just been a really dumb it's week. Yeah. It's, it's been a dumb week for people who are paid nine figures a year. <laughs> for, the decimal as point? far as I can I'm tell, no fucking reason. I'm paid nine figures a year. It just depends where you put the decimal okay, point. Okay, nine <laughs> figures like on the left of the decimal. Oh point no, fuck! Yeah. <laughs> okay, no, absolutely um, not. And, and and it is just embarrassing. All right. There really, really hasn't been that much movie news in mm. terms of casting. There has been a little bit of casting news. It broke mm. last night that Ray Seahorn, yes. the great Ray oh, Seahorn, who is sure to be once again snubbed by, mm. by the Emmys for her incredible performance as Kim Wexler in Better Call Saul. Do you know this already? I, I saw the headline. You know, okay, yeah. do you know this? Do you guys know this? Mm-hmm. Kobe, do you know I, this? I do not know I'm this. going to give Kobe three guesses. Ray Seahorn is going to join the cast of a an upcoming uh, franchise movie, I think it's fair to say that. Yeah, yeah. All right, three guesses. Which so, movie Ray Seahorn's going to join? So the way you said franchise movie means it's on the cusp, but it's had a couple of episodes, a couple of. Oh, he's good. Oh, yeah. He's good. Oh. It's yeah. like it's like playing What's My Line. Because yeah. I was initially going to go straight for fast, for a fast film. Would watch. Well, she doesn't have an Oscar, so as a woman, she's not actually <laughs> eligible <laughs> to join a fast movie. I have issues with Brie Larson's appearance in that. Anyway, that's for another time. Um, <laughs> oh, I have no. I literally is All it right. Disney? No. no. Oh, uh, not Toy Story. So like the next Toy Story. No, this is uh, this is um, something that you would not expect to find Ray Seahorn in. And it's live action. We will live action. We, we can tell you that. I think. My goodness, I have literally. 
I will say this as well. We have mentioned the star of this film on this podcast. That's true. We so have. not Sinatra. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it's what, it's so Chris Christopher. It's a film. It's a film actor. So it's a music music bot and film actor. Correct. Uh, not Steve Van Zandt. Bowie yeah. can't be him. Can't be him. Uh, <laughs> Will Smith. Ooh. <laughs> so it's a follow-up to King Richard. <laughs> That's right, King's Richard. Um, well, it's got to be a, a Bad Boys. Yes. Holy hey, shit! It's Bad good. Boys Four. Or, it's Bad Boys Four. Mm. Bad Boys Four. Yeah. Aren't they upset That's... now that they used Bad yeah, Boys for like, I know, four <laughs> three? Bad Boys Forever. Bad Isn't this one going to be actually forever. called Bad Boys Four Life, and when it's going to be the same title as the last one? Oh, I hope with not. Four. That would be upsetting. Yeah. But maybe. As you know, I think the the last one is really fucking good. I mean, so I'm very fine. excited about it's, this. I mean, it's way better than the second one. It's way better. Than, I'd say it's, it's way better than one and two oh, combined. Come on. I don't know. Yes, it, it is. is not as good as either one. That is it, nonsense. Palpable nonsense. No, I'm not having that. Palpatine nonsense. Touching yeah. Helen. Touch him. Touch evil. I'm not going to touch evil. <laughs> uh, no. See, uh, I, I reject your wrong assertion. Adil and Bilal are going to be... It says Good. they're at work on the movie in Atlanta. This is, I'm reading off the Empire website. With Will Smith and Martin Lawrence back as Mike Lowry and Marcus Burnett. Uh, the storyline's scripted, so there is a script. Uh, <laughs> some people are going to be back from the previous movie as well. Yohan Griffith is in this. Yohan Griffith. Mr. Fantastic himself. Brilliant. And uh, Seahorn's character is, as you'd expect, a mystery. But I love that. There's a big flex in that, Ray Seahorn. She's doing a show with Vince Gilligan as well. Okay. But uh, yeah, first post Kim Wexler, big flex. And she's off to join Martin and Will on the set of Bad Boys 4. Yes, please. All right. Maybe she's a baddie. I think not. I think she's a tough-ass police chief. Tough-ass police Mm. chief. Shouts at Arnold Schwarzenegger. I, I figure her as a baddie. I think she. Could, I think she could be a baddie. I'm not saying she couldn't be a baddie. I'm not like. I'm know, not so, like diminishing her talent. No, I'm no. Just saying like I don't think you know. I think she's got baddie energy. I think she could wow. project it in this. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. Someone better call Saul. Mm. Get him on the face. <laughs> there was also this week the um, news, actual news of an actual film, uh, which is the Minecraft adaptation which Jason Momoa was announced to star in like a year ago and Napoleon Dynamite's Jared Hess is directing and we don't know anything about the plot whatsoever but we do now know that apparently Matt Berry is going to be in it hmm. and is it is it a story based on the game as far as we know or is it a story of the history of Minecraft coming to fruition like the Tetris movies it's unclear but when they make it I suspect the blocking will be very important yes. <laughs> It was going to be animated, but it now appears to be live action. It's very mysterious. Um, all I know is that it's square shaped, so I don't know anything no, about the game. It's otherwise. very square. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bagsy yeah. Lee said, visit because I'm sure the Minecraft services will be excellent. <laughs> oh boy. And there was also a trailer this week for The Color Purple, That's the, the musical adaptation. About, yeah. yeah. What did you think? I thought it was I think it looks fantastic. I've not actually ever seen the film or the stage <gasps> play because my parents used to have the VHS and it just said The Color Purple. Um, they'd record it off the TV and it's handwritten my mum's writing and when you're kids you judge films by the title so Enter the Dragon yes I'm going to press that I'm going to put that into the machine but The Colour Purple did sound that interesting and I, I think I've missed out you're a fool but this trailer looks fantastic uh, Halle Bailey's in it mm-hmm. um, Common Domingo mm-hmm. who's one of my favourite recent people like ever no, um, he's so good yeah best so, dressed person in Hollywood I'm yeah, saying yeah it really is yeah. he is very well dressed so I, it's 
definitely something I need to go into and I need to catch up on both the stage play and uh, the original film as well before going into it, I think. Yeah, the, the stage play is fantastic. I was lucky enough to see it when Cynthia Revo yeah. was in it in the Rainier Chocolate Factory in London, <laughs> which is about the size of this pod booth. Like, it's a tiny, tiny mm. theatre and it was kind of uh, done in the round and she was... She basically blew the roof off the place, um, possibly literally every night. She was utterly amazing. Uh, so I, I have a lot of love for the musical as well as for the film, which I, I watched a bunch of times growing up because Spielberg uh, directed it. Of course, 13 Oscar nominations, not Whoa. a single win. It is the most losingest, or was for a long time anyway, the most losingest uh, film in Oscar history. Is that a, is that a word? It is now. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but you know, the, the stage show has won a whole bunch of... Um, of Tony's and so on that one uh Revo her the tea of her near egot. Um so uh it's uh it's 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 gonna be good. I think I'm I'm excited to see this one. It's gonna be good. Yeah, fingers crossed, fingers crossed for that one. Uh the last thing to talk about this week is the very, very sad news mm. of the unexpected and shocking mm. death of Ray Stevenson at the age of just fifty-eight. Uh this week. I'm still not sure if they've released exactly what the cause of death but it mm. seems that he took uh, ill whilst shooting a movie in Italy and after being hospitalised um, passed away very very shocking indeed very shocking as we record this it would have been his birthday oh, wow. oh really May, May 25th yeah um, he was born in Lisbon um, not too far from, from yes Lisbon. yes indeed um, and I think look I think for a lot of people it's um, it's well, Titus would... Pullo yes. that is his signature role um, so in, good in, in, Rome. The, in the TV series Rome. It's mm. an absolutely astonishing, astonishing um, performance. And and he was one of those guys, Like even when you saw him in Rome, you were like, oh yeah, it's, it's that guy. I know that guy. He's been in stuff. Um, but that really, I think, took him up a level and yeah. he started to get much bigger roles on the back of it and um, was fantastic in Dexter, was fantastic in Black Sails, was fantastic in... I mean, you know, it's not the best film ever, but like he's really good in King Arthur. Um, he was really fun in The Other Guys... Um, you're you're leaving out yeah. his incredible role. Falstag. Well, yes, Falstag. But I was oh, thinking yeah. uh, he was a very good Punisher in the yes, Punisher War Zone, which he was, very good. remained one of the most violent mainstream movies I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, and he was very, very good in that. I think it didn't do that well the box office or or critically at the time. And so perhaps he didn't become the big movie star that I think he could have mm. become. But he also seemed to be just quite happy. Uh, in character roles like Falstag yeah. uh, in the fat suit in as one of the Warriors 3 in the three Thor movies uh, and you know turning up every now and again as a as a bad guy and something like the other guys or yeah. and also RRR RRR yeah, recently. yeah. yeah. moustache twirling to, yeah. to great effect as the most Brilliant dastardly villain. Brit this side of you know name British character actor <laughs> in an action movie in the 1980s here yeah he was really great and you know I um I worked with him, <laughs> air quotes, uh, not too long ago when I hosted the Ahsoka panel, the Star yep. Wars celebration. And he was, I spoke to him beforehand. I, I spoke to him a couple of times throughout his career. And, you know, he was he was just always a lovely, approachable, smiley guy uh, who came into acting quite late in life. Yep. And I think therefore had some perspective on life and perspective on the business and so never let the the highs carry him away and never let the lows get him down. And I think he was just having an absolute fucking ball mm. being in Star Wars. Yeah. Because he was in Star Wars. He was in, in Ahsoka, obviously, as the dark Jedi, Balin Skull, uh, with his orangey red lightsaber. And he was just loving the adulation of, of the fans. And, uh, you know, we, we did that panel together. And then I interviewed him for, we were doing some kind of, social stuff on video and I interviewed him afterwards 
and we had a, a brief bonding moment about Northern Ireland. No. Because weirdly, I had no idea. Because if you listen yeah. to him, he he sounded like he was from Newcastle. I believe is where he ended up. He, you know, his his parents moved to uh, Newcastle when, or certainly in the north of England, whenever the he was eight years old. So he had that kind of sort of Kenneth Branagh, Sam Neill experience of of leaving the province uh, early and getting rid of the accent because you rock up in England or New Zealand with that accent in the nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies, you swiftly get disabused of it. Um, <laughs> We bonded over that, and because he was like, "Where are you from?" And I went, "You know, Banbridge." And then he dropped the best Northern Irish accent I have heard in a long, long time. And I was like, "Wow, where the hell did that come from?" And he said, "I was born in Lisburn." I was like, "No way!" Uh, but yeah, he was just seemed to be such a, a lovely guy. And my my abiding memory of him that day is watching him and his teenage son, and my heart goes out to his family, uh, just leaving the room, just just in waves of delight, just laughing, just loving life. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's an, it's a, it's the the first image of him that came to mind whenever I saw the news on Twitter. Uh, it's desperately desperately sad. He's mm. certainly been caught off in his prime, and uh, and we're very very sad to hear about it indeed. Absolutely. There's a great picture of him on the Empire feed that was taken from the Star Wars mm. celebration, which I think mm. everyone should just have a, a quick look at because I think you know it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, he was great. He was absolutely terrific. Uh, Ray Stevenson, who passed away this week. All right. Uh, shall we have our second Little Mermaidian? In that case, him. let's have David Diggs, shall we? Who plays the Little Mermaid? Sebastian. <laughs> Sebastian. The a crab. A unconventional a crab. name for a moment. <laughs> he plays Sebastian the crab in this movie, which you may have gathered I haven't seen. <laughs> and uh, and uh, of course, we love David Diggs as well. He is Lafayette slash Jefferson in Hamilton. Helen got to see him with her I own did. eyes. <laughs> It may have cost her the, the guts of the $10,000 that she won't leave her house for. <laughs> $1 million is still worth it. But absolutely worth it. And uh, since then, he's carved out a most excellent career post-Hamilton. Uh, most notably, I guess, as the creator of Blind Spotting, co-creator of Blind Spotting. Uh, but now here he is playing a crab. Ain't life grand. Uh, we sent Ben Travis, who knows a thing or two about Disney and Hamilton as well, along to speak to him. Uh, so here we go. Do please enjoy. So it's a huge delight to welcome to the Empire Podcast, David Diggs. How How's it going? Oh, it's going great, man. Having a good time out here. <laughs> good, good. We're in London. It in was London. the Little Mermaid premiere last night. Wild. I was lucky enough to be there. It Amazing. was nuts. What was that like for you? It was wild. Yeah, yeah. You know, we had a big premiere in LA and we were all like, well, nothing tops that. But London showed out, man. You guys, yeah, you guys really turned up. It was crazy out there on the street and like what a what a cool, like sort of beautiful production it all was. And then it was yeah. wonderful to see the film again with that audience. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's just great. Yeah. And so you're playing Sebastian the Crab. Mm-hmm. Absolutely legendary, iconic <laughs> Disney role. Yeah. Uh, I want to get into some of the kind of process of this for you. But what is yeah. it like because you're voicing the character, but there's all these other elements to the whole film and to the the performance of Sebastian yeah. from the, the kind of CGI artists and everybody. So what's it like for you when you see the film, when you see Under the Sea and you just go, okay, we like we, we got it, we nailed it. Because yeah. I, I honestly think you nailed this part. Oh, good. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Under the Sea being like sort of the full expression of all of those things, right? So much went into that number and, mm. it, you know, um, yeah, and it, and it came out so beautifully, and I just, yeah, it was incredible to watch and to see all of the little elements that we had spent so much time playing around with, right, from, like, all the Alvin Ailey choreography. It was, yeah. like, 
shocking. That is mind blowing that they pulled that off, and that like all of every little move that all of those sea creatures is making is a move choreographed by a real life incredible dance company, filmed and then translated by artists into what these creatures were doing. And I remember while we we're rehearsing, seeing them rehearse just in costumes, dressed up like these different kinds of fish, and so it was unreal. And then. We spent so much time in the whole process of putting all of this together, like of us with the puppeteers who eventually Hallie or, or and everybody was going to have to be acting with after our vocal performances were done in spaces that were going to be the size of the spaces that we're shooting in, figuring out exactly what the camera moves were going to be so that we knew the pacing of the scenes and of the dialogue and so that the actors could also get used to so that we could all create the scene together <laughs> and all work together like that. And so... Under the Sea was one of those, too, just sort of knowing, like, okay, at this point, we're riding on these tortoises. And, like, you know, there there were so many things that Rob and the whole production team held in their heads that, thankfully, I didn't have to. Like, my job was just to show up and be honest in the scene and figure out how to sing the song. Like, that was it. But, but man, seeing it all come together was just, it re- I was really blown away because uh, yeah. it's not what we did in the space was actually so human and small, you know? So to see something that is so grand and so cinematic was really wonderful for me. Yeah, and I was really struck watching the film that your vocal performance is very animated. You put a lot of life into a vocal (laughs) performance. At the same time, I was really impressed with how that was matched with the sort of physical animated performance of the the crab, the CGI crab. I know. So what, you said there's, there's kind of puppetry on set how do you get a sense of like how your vocal performance is being complemented by the physical thing that people are going to see on screen? When, when do you start to see what that's going to look like? Yeah, I mean, you know, we had seen the character designs sort of early on, and I don't know, there's not a ton of face real estate on a crab, so I think <laughs> it's we... It's a crab. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even though they did, he's awfully cute. He's and they cute. did like, I love when his little eyes are like, you know, I love uh, during Kiss the Girl when he like gets sneaky, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like, because Sebastian's so into himself, you know? So he's like, yeah, when he's like hatching a plan, he knows is the best plan ever, and he's like, and I, you know, so so they spent a lot of time when we were doing the final recordings with cameras on our faces, you know. So I know, like, they were really, uh, they being all of the hundreds and hundreds of people who animated these characters, like, were um, really using a lot of the stuff that we were trying to infuse into the characters. But you're right; it's doing this kind of work is this wonderful marriage of like. Uh, computer animation and technical ability and then also performance like staged performance embodied performance and vocal performance and all all of these things have to work together and all of that stuff has to work with other real actors in real time in real space so it's it's an incredibly complicated thing they all did and so the fact the thing i'm the proudest of about all of it is how well all of the relationships play Mm. like to me sebastian's relationship with Ariel is different than his relationship with King Triton and you feel those things like they whatever magic they were all everyone was all able to do like you can feel when I watch that it feels like the way the scenes felt to rehearse with Javier or with Hallie or you know it's pretty unbelievable I mean you've got all of that stuff going on and then on top of that you have as I said you're stepping into this iconic role Sebastian (laughs) was a role that for me as a kid I latched onto massively because he's the He's at the center of the big numbers. Yeah, he's such yeah. a fun presence. Yeah, he has the best songs. 
<laughs> he has the best songs. Yeah. Let's just say it. Yeah. Um, so to what level are you kind of leaning into the performance that already exists from the 1989 film and trying to kind of keep the character consistent with that? But I mean, I hear a lot of you in this role when I see this film as well. Yeah. What's that balance for you? Yeah, I mean, I obviously like I was a huge fan of the of the original film and I remember going to see it when I was a kid. And I when I got cast in this, I hadn't watched it in many, many years. And I sort of intentionally didn't want to go back and watch it again. I think, um, but it's not to say I didn't borrow from that performance. I borrowed from it really heavily. I think there's a good, there's kind of a lot of power in misremembering things as an artist. I mm -hmm. think like a lot of the secret sauce sometimes happens in the mistakes that you make. So trying really hard to match something and failing is where like the good stuff is. <laughs> um, and so I wanted to make sure I was misremembering a lot, um, but also most important to me was just like you like I loved that character and I there's a there's a feeling of freedom when Sebastian is really in his bag you know <laughs> and that's like what I wanted to tap into I wanted to make sure particularly with under the sea or any time that he's he's trying to exist in a teachable moment you know <laughs> like when when he believes he is the expert on the current moment like he feels so free like that's what i remember of the thing and it, and it is infectious and a lot of the comedy comes from that too because obviously he is way less significant than he thinks he is mm -hmm. so i wanted to try to latch on to that yeah. yeah i mean in terms of interpreting roles we have to talk about hamilton i'm a massive massive hamilton fan yeah. When you're in London, do you pop your head into the production of Hamilton here? Do you have a look at it? I've seen it. I've seen it a couple of times. I, I, yeah, I do. I've always loved the production here. It's fun to see in London, too, just because yeah. uh, it's different. There's a different set of, like, you know, cultural relationship to that time in history. Mm -hmm. And it's nice to see what jokes travel and what jokes are different, what jokes register different here, you know? So, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, what's it like for you seeing other people kind of perform th those roles? Oh, I love it. I don't, you know, that's the way plays work. I don't, mm. like, I, I, I don't have, um, like, my performance of it is uh, insignificant, right? Like, the thing exists on its own, and the fun of it is watching what somebody else is doing with it. Every, every production should feel completely different. Yeah. I mean, as a fan of Hamilton and a huge fan of Disney, to see you in this film... Uh, get to participate in one of the new songs, mm -hmm. uh, Scuttlebutt, yeah. which I was very excited for when I learned about this uh, doing the magazine feature. And Lynn said to me, I've written a rap for Scuttle. Yeah, yeah. I lost my mind. Yeah. Uh, so I was excited to see it anyway. And then to get to see you, obviously, with Aquafina as well, basically performing a an extremely Lynn Manuel Miranda yeah, yeah. rap. <laughs> it's the but most Lynn moment world, of the film. Yeah. It's so Lynn. <laughs> what was it like for you hearing that for the first time and getting back into that kind of Lynn flow, that Lynn cadence that's so? him oh yeah i mean that's very second nature for me like him you know writing in those cadences so i uh but you know sebastian initially wasn't in the song it was just so when he told me right. like it's a it's a rap for scuttle i as well was super excited because i'm a fan of aquafina's rap career actually so i was like great this is gonna be amazing <laughs> um and yeah and then when he added me in i remember like being in rehearsal and everybody you know there were new words coming in. We were, and uh, Lynn was in the airport writing. Uh, like he hadn't sent them in yet. And I guess like they were having trouble with the email or something. So he just like called me and was like, and everyone was like, I'm sorry, we don't have them printed out for you. We're not quite ready yet. And Lynn just called me and said, it goes like this. And I went, all right. 
And then we, we did it. You know? like, you go straight in. You're like, yeah, because it's that just end. like, you know, we've done this so much for so many mm. years at this point. So it's not, you know, it's, I think it, it feels like a magic trick to people who aren't inside of it. But it's really not. It's just like, I know how that guy writes. I know where the em- emphases are. And like, he's a really, he is an incredibly structural writer, actually, which makes things really easy to memorize because there's only one place where that word can go. He's very careful with his word selection. Yeah. And what is it like kind of collaborating with him again on on this film? What was that experience as as kind of previous collaborators and friends? And he cares about this little mermaid so much. He cares about Sebastian so much. He talked for a lot of the interview that I had with him about his love of Sebastian as a kid. That's the best part for me is just watching my friend get to be part of something, get to be get to write new songs for mm-hmm. and like create for a thing that he's so in love with like the way his excitement makes me the happiest that was like kind of amazing um because i've known how much he loves the little mermaid and so just like again like someone really in their bag man when lynn's in his bag there's like (laughs) a few things that are as infectious as that so that was just great to be around and then obviously working together just feels like our text thread is transitioning into real life for a second you know we just we talk all the time i was just sending each other stupid jokes or whatever so eventually uh, every once in a while we get to do that irl and then, you know. <laughs> nice. have you got a few texts at the moment of the like the seeds of future things coming up future collaborations oh maybe i'm sure you know like pretty i don't know i think everything maybe it's like this for most creators but like i think everything starts from a dumb joke <laughs> and then that you keep thinking about and eventually you're like oh, maybe that's a real thing i said yeah. that jokingly but if i say it enough times maybe it actually should exist you plant the seed, it starts to become real. Yeah. Um, having sort of followed your career from Hamilton onwards, I've been always excited to see what you're doing because there's so much variety mm. in what you do, like a lot of voice performance. And uh, I'm a huge fan of Blind Spotting. I think that film is outstanding, uh, really powerful. At the same time, you've been doing Fraggle Rock and you've been doing Snowpiercer. What, yeah. What's the appeal of that variety for you? How do you kind of choose your product projects and why do you lean into that level of variety? Uh, I mean, I think I'm just, I just love th- things that are, I'm looking for experiences really more than anything. And like, I love good writing. So, you know, like that's another part of it for me. Um, it's just like when I read something or I see, or I pitch something that either is like, these are collaborators who I'm really excited to work with or this the way this story is being told is really exciting. I like big swings. I like stuff that shouldn't work or that mm-hmm. I'm not sh- confident of, you know? That, like, I am so, I'm, a, I'm a, really like a process guy, you know? My, I have a hard time watching myself. So, like, the finished product, which is why I love theater, I don't ever have to watch myself, which was, like, the big <laughs> downfall of Hamilton for me was that they filmed that thing. But, like, uh, but like I, I love being in it so much. Um, and it's really hard for me to see the finished thing. So all I ever have is the experience of making it. And so that's what I'm always looking for is like, how is this going to be a cool experience? Am I going to get to w- really invest in something like and and work really hard on a thing and have a great time with people and be proud of the the work that we did, regardless of what comes out of it? Because you can't gauge people's responses, all of that stuff you can't control. All you have, I think, as an artist is like the, the creation phase is really like, that's, that's the fun time, you know? Yeah. So it's nice when you're in a situation like this where people seem to be really liking the thing and that that's nice. But for me, like, 
the real joy was in those moments in the rehearsal room when we're trying to figure out how long it takes a crab to climb up a wall and how much dialogue <laughs> we need in that spot. It's like, yeah. that's the real, that's where the joy comes in. I mean, speaking of your collaborators, uh, the director you worked with on Blind Spotting, uh, Carlos Lopez mm-hmm. Estrada, he's also in the Disney realm now, yeah. which I find it really fascinating. Um, have you guys kind of kept that conversation going while you're both in this world? No, nah, man, I haven't talked to him in a long time, actually. I don't, you know, schedules get busy, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I should reach out to him. <laughs> well, uh, what worlds do you still want to play in? Because you've, you've done a bit of Star Wars voice work oh, you've yeah. done uh, Disney voice work theater what what's next for you what, what's another thing that you would love to do in this insane variety that oh. you're leaning into oh man I don't know I mean I uh, I'm a big fan of uh, like like murder mysteries and detective stories so like I, I would like to play a quirky detective at some point that's sort of my the, th- the thing I consume the most of so uh yeah, like I like you know I'll watch an episode of Poirot a hundred times. I've seen all of them. Like that's one of my favorite shows of all time. Columbo being like the kind of American yeah. version of the same thing. Uh, We've got to get you on Brian Johnson's. Uh, yeah, yeah, I love man. that stuff. I, when I saw the first Knives Out, it felt like someone reached into my brain and pulled out a movie. I felt a little bit violated. You know, it's like <laughs> how did you shouldn't be this aware of what my taste is? You know, like someone yeah. who's not me. Um, so yeah, that kind of thing. And then I'd love to do like a big actiony thing you know i haven't really done much of that yet and i so i again like i am excited about things that i don't know what they're like yet yeah so yeah Uh, i've got to let you go in just a second but uh i've got to ask do you still eat crab after this movie because i had a great chat with alan menken for this film yeah i asked him what what are your memories of 89 and he said went to one of the first big screenings disney put on this big screening and the entire thing was platters of seafood. And we turned up and we were horrified by all of these like lobsters and fish. Post Sebastian, do you still eat crab? That's amazing. I do. Um, but because I really think it's important to let a roll go once you're done with it. And so like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't for the duration of our filming. <laughs> you, to purge the roll, you've got to physically eat it at the end. You know, you got to make on. yourself do what you get with a lot of butter. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's a joy to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Thanks David Diggs. Okay, so that was David Diggs. And let's kick off the review section of the show by talking about the biggest film of the week. And it is, of course, Fast No, it's, it's Little Mermaid. <laughs> the latest Disney live action animation adaptation. I love saying that. Hell's Bells. Does this stack up to the majesty of... <laughs> Dumbo. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is this Hallion. is not this is not a a genre or a franchise that's been wreathed in greatness. No, no, and that doesn't no. change with this one. If I'm honest, oh. like I'm sorry. Look, oh, and, and you're right. laughing. Chris is laughing. No, I'm not care. laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Let me put my cards on the table here. The Little Mermaid is one of my absolute favourites of the Disney Renaissance. Oh, I, I yeah. think it is an absolutely wonderful film. Well, for me too. Yeah. I, I have to say that you have three Disney films which are like the centre of your universe. Mm. For me, Little Mermaid, Aladdin and The Lion King all have been made into the live actions. Quote, unquote, yeah. <laughs> quote, unquote, successfully, quote, unquote. Yeah. So I mean, two of those made a billion. Well, I mean, making the money if doesn't mean that's the only good. thing you're going by, no, then but Transformers the... is a great franchise. <laughs> hey, I just, Transformers you know. is a great hey. franchise. So I'm gutted now. I'm, I'm, anyway, I'm anyway, so Cards on the Table, I feel very strongly about the original. I, I love it a lot. I have seen it a lot. It is one of my all-time favorite Disneys. All right. 
Andalusie. I know that bit. And this <laughs> is not up to that. This is a film that absolutely doesn't need to exist. It mm. certainly doesn't need to be two and a quarter hours. So okay, walk me through that, okay? okay? Because one thing I know about The Little Mermaid is that it could almost be on Sam Clements' 90 minutes or less. It's like 93 minutes, 94 minutes, yeah. something like that. It's quite short. It's quite brisk. Yeah. There's some songs. They get in, they get out. Boom. Bish bash bosh done. I mean, and those are Howard uh, Ashman and Alan Menken songs. They're, they're bangers. Geniuses. They are bangers. Yes. Um, <laughs> they have they brought in Lin Manuel Miranda from, of course, Hamilton to write some new songs. I'm not saying they're bad Lenny songs. Manny. They're totally fine. Mm-hmm. There is uh, Prince Eric now gets his own song. Um, oh, he does guy. well. Yeah, uh, Jonah Howard King playing Prince Eric here. He does well. We get some songs for. Ariel's subconscious essentially to mm. sing Ariel of course being the Little Mermaid being the Little Mermaid okay. played by Halle Bailey yes. um, we get some songs for her to sing while she's lost her voice just in case anyone out there doesn't know what the story of the Little Mermaid is genuinely I have story... no idea and I watched it three months ago oh good god <laughs> so it's a it's a little mermaid who falls in love with a human and trades her voice to a sea witch to get legs so she can go up <laughs> into the human world and breathe air when you say it like that it sounds silly yeah. in the extra four to five minutes yeah. this version do they delve into her stature or height at all because <laughs> how, t- how tall how, is she how, how tall is she how little is the mermaid can it I think it just could be called the mermaid because at no point do I remember her her shortness being part of the storyline her, her shortness is not oh, a key plot point no. that's yeah. fair so, although she's a lot smaller than for example her father King Triton played by Javier Bardem true. and uh, than her aunt as we now have confirmed um, the sea witch Ursula played by Melissa McCarthy look it's, is it's her fun. aunt is her aunt? Is that canonical? Uh, it is now in this. Yeah. What? I think it, I think there's a kind of a half line alluding to it before, but not, nothing nothing concrete. It is now officially right a, a family relationship. So she gets um, her legs. So she gets her legs. She goes off to the human world, but she can't speak anymore. But like, here's one of the things that they they fill that forty five minutes with. She doesn't just trade her voice. It's somehow called her siren song. Mm. And there's like an implication that that's what saves Prince Eric when she's saving him from a shipwreck and bringing him to shore. That that's some part, like she has some kind of magic in her voice. It's not just enough for it to be a voice. Um, There's a whole thing about Prince Eric being adopted by the rulers of this vaguely Caribbean nation where he lives. But again, it doesn't amount to anything. It doesn't add anything. It's just a thing that happens. Um, There's a thing about a a sort of, you know, both the the ruler, both his mum basically and her dad being cross at the other civilization for either sinking their ships or leaving these dirty great ships all over the ocean floor. You know, they're, they're all angry at each other, but it doesn't really add anything that we didn't have before in the 90 minute version of this story. The problem with a lot of these live action remakes is they're not just adding visual noise in in terms of all this extraneous detail. They're also just adding this random noise in the plot and in the character that doesn't add a lot of texture. And I think, you know, if you look at some of the best of these live action remakes, the likes of the Cinderella, maybe. Jungle Book. Jungle Book. Yeah, those did actually add something to the characters. Dumbo. I genuinely like Dumbo. I think Dumbo was swung swung hard. You know, I, think it I did. don't. I, I think I think I Dumbo was at least it tried something. It, it tried yeah. something. I, I I don't think it entirely worked. But but you know, this one doesn't really try very much because it's so concerned with being quite faithful. And and sometimes when it does try with some of the you know kind of quote unquote feminist, which I don't think is the right word. Um, you know, frills on the story. It, it, it's worried that people will shout at it for having a girl give up her, you know, her life to be with a guy, right? So they're trying to make some mm. something about it. But in the animated film, that's not exactly what she did. She was already 
obsessed with humanity, already obsessed with the world mm. over outside of the ocean, mm. it's not as simple as she saw a super cute guy and wanted to be with him. Mm. So they didn't need to break themselves, you know, doing this. Anyway, that all said, like, it's not bad. Like, it doesn't need to exist. It, it shouldn't exist. It's far too long. Mm-hmm. But, the you know, the people all do good jobs in this. I think Halle Bailey is fantastic. She looks like a Disney princess. She looks like uh, the Little Mermaid cartoon. She's astonishing. She can sing. She m- almost entirely resists the urge to sing 10 notes where one would do. Um, <laughs> and and she's, she's really, really good. You oh. know, David Diggs as Sebastian. Right. Great. Fantastic, love him. Aquafina, fantastic. As who's Scuttle. she playing? She she voices the seagull Scuttle, who is basically Ariel's kind That's of good um, yeah, her her kind of um, expert yeah. on on human human right. life. So she's the one that Ariel goes to to sort of talk to and stuff. They're all good. So it, it's just it doesn't need to be this much of a faff. What what what's Ariel's big song? Because everyone knows Under part the Sea. of your world. Everybody knows part of your world. I mean, does it, does it go under the sea? Wish I could be part of your world. Yes, yes, yes. I was singing it today. And <laughs> oh my God. To work. It's a really well known song. I don't remember song. either. I'm sorry. I only you remember the it. Under the Sea song. Look, your, under failures, the sea. your failures are not the Little Mermaid's fault. There'd be no accusations, just under friendly crustaceans <laughs> under the sea. Ben, you listening? Homer sings this version. <laughs> oh, boy. Ben, uh, I'm sorry. You have to work with these people all the time. I'm so sorry. Uh, to be honest, I, I flunked Disney University after the first <laughs> yeah. semester. So uh, what are we going to give this one? I give it three. Because um, I'm didn't trying to be like fair. It. <laughs> I, know, I know it didn't. I know it didn't. But like, I'm, I, I do want to be fair. I, it's not that I think anybody involved in the actual making of this film did a bad job. It just should never have been put into motion. <laughs> you know, and, I hope that was so, your verdict. And so two felt really mean. Nobody in this film deserves to die. <laughs> it's gen- I mean, it's it, you know, it's not a million miles from that. Like, uh, you know, she is fantastic. I think the casting is generally good. Right. I don't think anybody gives a bad performance. I, I get why they added some of the stuff that they did, but it, I didn't think it worked terribly well. Um, I think the I think they had a I actually think they had real trouble with the VFX on this. I think that's one of the reasons it's taken quite so long to. I mean, this was announced in does 2016. Sebastian look freaky when he's talking. Sebastian looks all right. Flounder is a disaster. Oh, okay, no. Yeah, um, I think it, I think the VFX have been difficult, and there's a couple of moments where you could see the joins, but I'm not going to zing anybody for that because uh, you know it's a tough gig. It's, it's a, a tough gig. Really tough one. I couldn't do it. So, um, and and the new music is good. It is good. Lenny Manny always delivers. It just doesn't need to exist. Wow. Okay, wow. All right, so three stars then for The Little Mermaid. Next up is the Finnish action epic, Zizou. Woohoo! Jimbo. A strong finish, in fact. Uh, (laughs) This is directed by Yalmari Helander and... (laughs) Who is the person who gives us rare exports. Indeed, indeed. This this is a rare export in itself. And if I were to describe this to someone on the street, I would probably say it's like the equaliser in World (gasps) War II with the dash of It Follows multiplied by Commando times the Revenant. No, Uh, you lost me there. (laughs) Sorry. So so to sum this up, it's called Sisu. Sisu is a Finnish word and there's a title card that comes at the beginning and it simply says it's a word that cannot be translated, which means a white knuckle form of courage and unimaginable determination. 
When all hope is lost. So it's what Kobe had on Gladiators. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's very much like Kobe's cash line from Gladiators. Uh, so this this film takes place in 1944, and uh, it's during the Nazi withdrawal from Finland when they're going full scorched earth and just burning the land and killing absolutely everyone, being, you know, Nazi-ish. Uh, now, into all this, you have one character uh, named Corpy, played by uh, Jorma Tamila, and he's essentially left the war behind. He's become a kind of prospecting hermit where he's just living with his horse and his dog and mining for gold in the wilderness while bathing in streams and things like that. Um, he strikes a rich seam of gold, mm. fills his saddlebags with little nuggets and heads off to the bank to cash it in because apparently he can do that. Mm. Um, on the way though, he runs across a kind of a Nazi battalion who are leaving the country. There's a tank, there's a truck, there's some motorbikes, lots of soldiers, lots of guns. Uh, and one of them decides to search his saddlebags and comes across his gold. At which point, it goes very, very badly for them. Because it turns out that our man Corpy is a former commando known as the Immortal, <laughs> who kills absolutely everyone who looks at him funny. And just to make this absolutely clear, this is a man who is hung, shot, stabbed, beaten, drowned, bitten, blown up by a fucking mine, and still keeps on coming because he is one bad motherfucker. And this entire film is just him refusing to die and just killing the shit out of a bunch of Nazis. And if that sounds like your bag, then I've got to tell you, this is 100% the film for you. It is an incredible amount of fun. It's a relatively tight 90-ish minutes. Ooh, hello. So it's, not The Revenant. And no, so not The Revenant. <laughs> he is like this avenging angel spat from the bowels of hell. It's glorious. This film makes no sense. It has almost no story. It has almost no dialogue. Mm. And yet, and the characters are kind of like, what, the fairly broad archetypes. Oh, but much. it is so much fun. I will say that like it has good it has good casting going for it because he's fantastic he is, he is fantastic yeah. as the immortal he's again he's, he's in the 70s i know uh, and like i wouldn't mess although obviously i wouldn't mess because i've got more sense um but he is he was also <laughs> in he was also in rare exports and was yes. great there uh, you also have axel henny axel henny as basically chief nazi so I he manages him. to he manages to in, like inject just just enough I don't want to say humanity because he's still a total rat bastard, yes. but like a a, re, a dawning realization that he's in trouble, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, throughout his character. And I thought he was fantastic. Um, and the little boy from Rare Export, slightly grown up, is also in this. Yeah, I love to see again. Oh, I just I just had the best it, time with it, this. It's got a real Tarantino esque flourish to the way it's put together. It's there yeah. are chapters for yeah. the various bits. It's just I mean, it knows exactly what it is. It's having a huge amount of fun with it. He does stuff which just makes. I mean, it's almost, it's not quite fast 10 levels of ridiculousness, but it's not far it's, off. It's John uh, Wickian. Yeah, oh, it's very John, John Wickian. Wickian. Yeah. And I just, I really loved it, except for one aspect. There's only one aspect of this film I didn't like, and that is the female roles in this film, which I felt was an unnecessary touch. Not to have women in the film, obviously, you understand, but mm. in the way they're in the film. It's just, essentially, there's a bunch of women who've been kidnapped by the Nazis and are being sort of routinely sexually assaulted in the back of a trunk. And I felt like... You can't have a film that's this tongue-in-cheek and this fun. I feel like it just shifted the tone a bit too much in the wrong direction for me. And I think if you'd maybe given them proper characters or developed the character there, maybe you could have got away with it. But it jarred with me slightly. It, it didn't but. with me because I think one of them is developed. You, you you get a sort of ringleader among them. And, you know, without giving too much away, they do get their moments. So 
I quite enjoyed that. Yeah, I, I I was less fond of that, but that's that's probably my only kind of note, if you will, on this. But other than that, I thought this was an absolute riot. Mm. It's great. It's incredibly violent, but not upsettingly so. I'm so uh, excited. It, it's fun, fun yeah. violence. I wasn't able to. I I was far too busy to to get around to seeing this one. And I also, I, 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 I last night I had a choice between watching this or <laughs> you're going to hate me watching. <laughs> Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania prepare for our listener question spoiler special which we recorded just before this because I wanted to refresh my memory uh, you and chose I, I chose no but I poorly. also chose this because I knew that I wanted to see this on the big screen and not mm. with my name on it and mm. stuff so uh, so I chose I chose this That's, I chose Ant-Man yeah. to be yeah. fair this, I, it is probably better to see this in cinema than the way that we saw it so. uh, yeah CCU and the Wasp Nazi Mania <laughs> yeah. is, oh, is the best way to go oh I saw it that. in the cinema James, did you, didn't you? Oh. Oh, well, they I, sent I'm, me a link Helen because I'm special I've been excited ever since I saw the trailer for this the trailer for this looks like absolute mayhem um, it is uh, always good to see Nazis being blown to shit uh, on the big screen uh, or indeed anywhere really <laughs> yeah. uh, it's good there are not very fine people on both sides yeah. they are and were pricks <laughs> there you go newsflash just yeah. in Nazis Nazis are, Nazis are bad it's, it's just like you know you mentioned John Wick but this guy literally sets himself on fire just to throw off the dogs it's just I mean it's extraordinary it's quite the flex I mean we've all done it but it's Kobe's audition for Gladiators. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Set myself on fire. <laughs> Contenders ready. No, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> One full Edward Woodward there at the end of Wickerman. Jesus Christ, Christ, oh God, no. Not that Wickerman, it's the bees. Let's <laughs> <laughs> cover myself in bees. That's uh, how it's the only Wickerman worth talking about. <laughs> that was your Gladiator tonight, We will it? not the discuss bee. the other bee. one. Hornet. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Wickermania would be, oh, oh, that would be a good no. one. Oh no. Burn them, burn them alive. That's why I say. So anyway, anyway, four stars for Sisu. Four stars. For All Sisu. right. And what's four the big musical number? Stars. <laughs> uh, four under stars. The sea, under the sea. Of <laughs> under blood. the Sisu. There we go. Got like there in the end. <laughs> four stars then for Sisu. Uh, next up is Master Gardener, the latest film from Paul Schrader, which mm. I can assure you does not have a musical number in it. Master Gardener <laughs> runs by the town. It does have a little bit of like magical realism going on. But anyway, Kobe. Oh, there's that moment, isn't there? Yeah. So this is uh, sees Joel Edgerton um, as a not your not your average haughty fucking culturalist, um, Narvard Rock. <laughs> so <laughs> Alan, not, that's what Alan Titchmarsh says. This, yeah, I'm not a fucking haughty culturist. <laughs> and he's not your average haughty fucking culturist because he's very good at his job. He spends days talking to the plants. He teaches kids and everyone else about how to you know, be a gardener. He works for Sigourney Weaver's uh, Haverhill on the ostensibly like a, a big estate kind of plantation in um, in New Orleans. And he comes with the baggage of a very, very dark past and is there. Sigourney Weaver's character is taking him under, under her wing. So and, to speak. And, yeah. other, and other body parts. And, well, yeah. Under a wing and up a skirt. <laughs> oh, James. Oh, it's true. <laughs> I was going to allude to that later on, but he just went straight there. Straight in there. Dear Lord. He's under the sea. Yeah. Continue. So he's there under Sigourney's uh, tutelage. <laughs> Watchful eye. Watchful eye. Um, and one day she says, look, my, my grandniece needs some help. She needs some guidance. Can you sort can you sort her out for me? And um, so it arrives um, May in the form of Quintessa Swindled. And um, yeah, so... Joel Edgerton takes care of her, but also she's got a dark past as well, which comes to the surface. And together their dark pasts kind of collide and, and both come frothing to the surface. And it's quite an interesting brooding film. I think that there's a storyline, a romantic storyline, which is inevitable and kind of boring. But then there's the other Did one. Did you think so? I, I, thought it was, I, I, I thought rather it was, liked her. I thought that was bad. Mm. I, I thought that was straight all. up bad. I really, I really enjoyed it. 
I thought it was. I thought it was lovely. It, it took me out. Of the, I knew. I saw where I was going straight away. And I, I, it took me out of the, out of the game a bit. Mm. I thought the Sigour, the others. Sorry, I maybe said that's it. But I thought the other romantic uh, dalliances. I thought that was quite an interesting take. The one you alluded to before. Mm. I didn't so much allude as just state. Just that's exactly what happened. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of dark and brooding, and I like the the, the pullbacks to to. Um, to Joel Edston's past life, mm. which is which is the, the darkest of the dark. It is. Yeah. It, 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 this this film is interesting because I mean it's not a short film, is it? It's not. It's not far off two hours, mm. but it's like it's it's got it's deliberately, if not slowly paced. Like mm. it's quite methodical, but it has an almost dreamlike quality, and I think it's partly down to you know the colours and the flowers, and it's almost meditative. Like he's almost hypnotic the way he, he speaks very slowly and gently. He's very deliberate in everything he does, and when he's talking to you about the kind of Latin nomenclature for fucking perennials, yeah. It's not boring. You're just kind of drawn into this kind of syrupy voice he uses. Mm. And he's talking about all these influential horticulturalists. Like, this is fascinating stuff. <laughs> uh, but genuinely, <laughs> it really pulls you in. And I think also uh, uh, Devontae Hines' score in this, which is very sort of ethereal and hard to pin down, is very softly done. Mm. And the component parts of this, which is like two people trying to forget their pasts, mm. you know, trying to get away from it, and then their past catch up with them, feels like it could have been into melodrama. And it doesn't like it's mm. always on track it's, it's very, very deliberate very grounded mm. yeah Schrader has written a really lovely beautifully sensitive kind of nuanced strip to this uh, you know I, obviously he loves his broken men he does enjoy that he's, he's on a tear for that at the moment really yeah but well, this, I, I thought yeah, it was lovely the, the, the people have been talking about how this is sort of the third in a loose trilogy with First yeah. Reformed and the Card, card Counter, counter. with, with mm. Ethan Hawke and Oscar Isaac, respectively. And look, I, I, I agree with a lot of that. I didn't love the score, but I agree with a lot of the rest. Um, I think it's fascinating to have this character who is literally and figuratively buttoned up at all times, you know, <laughs> and I, I thought he was he gives a very good performance. But I could not with the love story and I uh, that that really lost me and I I. I think I think it was I think I think she's a character who represents things rather than being a character who makes sense in herself and that's nothing that's no shade on uh, Quintessa Swindell I don't think it's it's down to her I think it's down to the script which I didn't think handled that particular aspect very well but it, but it you know it it brings up a lot of issues I mean because this is clearly a southern plantation home this is clearly somewhere that slaves once lived this mm -hmm. is clearly he he probably is living in a house that would once have been um a slave hut and 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 so there is this this undercurrent of violence and ugliness and horrific history to everything that's going on and I I thought that was was well developed and everything else, but it it was when it shaded into a love story and, and away from a friendship. This is a small spoiler, but it's not really that kind of film. I'm sorry, um, that really lost me. Yeah. That really really lost me. Everything else building up to that and the and the setting and what was going on in their backstories was really engaging. Mm. Pulled you through, but it's just like oh, they're gonna it's gonna happen, isn't it? See, I'm a sucker for a love story, but I totally get what you're saying, that if they had removed that and yeah. had kept it platonic, mm. it, it might have made for a more interesting character study. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, for me. Yeah, yeah, I will give you that, yeah. definitely. It's also like, I mean, it. it's another one of my 
pet hate, which is this massively age inappropriate friendship of yes. relationship. But it is. But at least it's not. It's not like just oh, it's just the dumb thing. At least it's not like waved off. Like it is actually a plot point, and it is referred yeah. to. Yeah. So you know, because she's what he's late forties, she's early twenties. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, Sigourney Weaver, I think, describes it as a Lolita type uh, relationship. Yeah, she, so. yeah, she does. Yeah. She, she, yeah. she. I mean, she, she looks almost younger. She almost looks like a teenager when we first see her as well. Um, also, the, the the name Narvel. I mean, yeah. I've looked it up. It does. It is a name that Narvel. exists. But, oh. This is well, part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> <laughs> she said it when she first met him. What kind of name is that? What yeah. kind of name is like, Norville? Apparently it comes from French, uh, from Norville, which meant North Town, Norville. Okay. Um, but uh, so apparently it's a derivation of Norville. Uh, there was a Twitter question this week about underrated filmmakers or filmmakers who don't think really have been given their, their due. And Schrader's career is astonishing. Mm. Uh, and his longevity is astonishing, and the fact that he's producing these movies at this at this rate in his seventies, when he's had health problems, when his his wife Mary Breath hurt, is uh, also you know struggling badly in Alzheimer's. And he's doing all of this um, is I think is, and then he still has stuff to say, uh, and is you know saying it and, and, and provocatively. Um, of course, this is, this is there's nothing accidental here about the. The uh, the central relationship in this movie, he is he is trying to provoke a reaction from people, uh, and he's doing all of this is still astonishing. This is a guy who wrote Taxi Driver, uh, wrote Raging Bull. Uh, he's one of the, the chief content creators on those movies. Oh God! <laughs> and um, <laughs> you know, and he's been as a director incredibly prolific as well uh, over the years. You know, starting off with Blue Collar in nineteen seventy eight, and then you know, obviously going all the way through this. His directing career now spans forty five years, which is which is quite astonishing. Um, is it forty five years? It is forty five years. Jesus Christ, that's terrifying. Um, but uh, I think he, I think this is a, a very much in keeping quality wise with First Reformed and the Card Counter, if not quite as good as First Reformed. But we gave it four stars, and I can see why. Mm. But it will push buttons, and it has clearly uh, pushed buttons here as well. But uh, but yeah, I thought it was good stuff. Right. Good stuff indeed. Uh, not so good stuff, sadly is Hypnotic, which is the new film from Robert Rodriguez starring Ben Affleck, which is out this week. And you might be thinking to yourself at home, hang on, Chris, a film starring Ben Affleck directed by Robert Rodriguez is out this week. Why haven't I heard about that? And there's not been a lot of promotion for it. I think it's fair to say. I I think there was a trailer that came out a, a short while ago, but I haven't seen too much in the way of uh, interviews uh, to promote this movie. Having seen the movie now, I think I know why that is. Uh, ask me about it, rather than me just saying things. Is it any good? Is it animal, vegetable, or mineral? Let's <laughs> do 20 questions. Hypnotic style. Is it any good? No, it is not any good. So basically, it is, it's one of those movies that is um, not as clever as it thinks it is. Uh, and it is uh, co-written by Robert Rodriguez and directed by him, of course, and it stars Ben Affleck as a police detective whose daughter was kidnapped in mysterious circumstances some years before, and he's a maverick cop. He's a cop on the edge. He's a cop who can't be stopped. (laughs) And uh, he starts investigating a series of mysterious bank robberies in his... um, town, I think Austin, in fact, you know, mm. which is where Robert Rodriguez is, uh, lives and is based. And uh, he starts investigating this bank robbery and things go wrong in front of him thanks to the mysterious intervention of someone called Lev Del Rain, played by William Fichtner, 
Bill Fickner himself turns up Ooh. as a man who seems to be able to hypnotise people just with words. Just with the power of his words, he gets him to do his bidding. Darren Brown style. Darren Brown style. Mm. You know, look in the eyes, not around the eyes, look in the eyes. And uh, and and the bank robbery starts to go wrong and our plucky hero starts to investigate and he teams up along the way with uh, someone else who can also hypnotise people, uh, played by uh, Alice Braga. And, uh, and they go on the run. And then things get weird. And every scene contradicts what happened in the previous scene. So is it going to and be it, one of these, well, who can trust what is yes, real? It heaps kind of it. What is real? What is not real? What's a conspiracy? What's not a conspiracy? Ha ha ha. Who's, who's really the, the mastermind behind all this? All that sort of stuff. Every scene is more convoluted than the last. And, you know, from a tactical point of view, everything's fine. It's all in focus. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's all good. What does it, what does it look like? Because one of uh, Rodriguez's best traits is the visual aspects yeah. of his films. Does it, is it's anything bit, discerning from that? No, it's a bit no. muted. It's a bit drab. No. It's basically Rodriguez trying to do Inception and trying to do Chris Nolan. And now and again, you get a little flourish of some other stuff coming in from other movies. Mm-hmm. There's a moment where it feels a little bit like, you know, there's a bit where it feels like a zombie movie in a way because you get the the evil hypnotist who starts turning people into basically killing machines and starts throwing them at Ben Affleck. And that's quite fun. And there's a bit where... There's a bit where two characters have some sort of psychic mind battle just by staring at each other really intensely. So there's a little bit of scanners involved there as well. But the plot is so convoluted and such, not to put too fine a point on it, horseshit that uh, I did find myself chucking out very, very early on. And it's such a shame because Robert Rodriguez, I think, has all the talent in the world and all the potential in the world. And I just find myself exasperated by the way his career has gone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back in, back in the 90s when I was just a callow youth, uh, I, I thought he was the bee's knees, like mm. the, the, the next big thing, like, the, like the, the, the inheritor of James Cameron's mantle as one of the best action directors on the planet. And, you know, I was just thinking the other day about how, you know, From Dust Till Dawn yeah. is the film that before Avengers Endgame came along was the film that I'd seen most in the cinema. Mm. And, you know, at the time I, I showed it to my dad, my very, very straight-laced John Wayne-loving <laughs> dad, uh, Clint Eastwood-loving dad, without telling him that it was a vampire movie. <laughs> you know, and watching that and The Faculty and Desperado yeah, yeah. and El Mariachi mm-hmm. and all these films and just thinking, there's a guy who's got such fervor and gusto. And even then when he started doing Spy Kids, there was still such invention and glee to his work and I do find myself mourning that Robert Rodriguez because I don't think he's with us anymore and that's a real real shame alright well we give this one two stars and sadly that is on the money oh shame real shame Rodriguez Affleck teaming up you think fireworks wouldn't sue but sadly it's all a bit of a damp squib or is it? Maybe I've been hypnotized to tell you that. Ha 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 ha. Yes. <gasps> Once fiend. again, you strike Lev Del Rain. <laughs> makes no sense. The film makes no sense. None of it makes any sense. <laughs> I can't wait to watch it now. <laughs> Maybe I've sold it to you. I don't know. Look, I was sick last week and I just sat and watched Jaws sequels. So sometimes all <laughs> you need you? is a bad film. I watched Jaws 2, 3 and 4. Wow. And then I would have watched The Meg, but I couldn't find it. So I watched uh, Deep Blue Sea again instead. Where did you find Jaws 2, 3 and 4? Where were they? They are on Prime right now. Are they? They are. 
Well, there goes your weekend. Well, I'm very, I'm bringing this podcast to an end. Uh, You're very, very lucky we're at the end uh, because I, 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 God almighty, I haven't seen Jaws of Revenge in a long, long time. I've never seen them. I've never seen them. I I never had. I never had. Jaws 2 was just like a retread by Jaws 2 is good, but it's fun. It's, it's, yeah, but it's just like, it's it's somebody else trying to do something. The making of Jaws 2, by the way, is uh, nearly as tumultuous and batshit insane as the making of Jaws. And then Jaws 3 is silly. Jaws 3. Dennis Quaid. Uh, yes. Dennis Quaid, yeah. yeah. Mm. And then uh, Joel's Revenge was was really, really not good. <laughs> when it yeah. goes around to Michael Caine's house, because it's personal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Jaws, Jaws 2 is uh, Roy Scheider's back as Martin Brody. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Jaws 3 stars Dennis Quaid it. as the, the Martin His Brody's son. son. Uh, older son. Yeah, not older son. Yeah. yeah, not the one who gets attacked. When the one where he gets attacked in the pond in Jaws, I think, that one? Yeah, I think so, And yeah. then Jaws 4 is when the shark goes after Brody's wife. Yeah, but but actually, oh no! At first, it kills the younger son. It kills it the younger son. Yeah, it kills does the younger kill son, and mm. then and then um, Mrs. Brody goes off with Mark, who's no longer played by Dennis Quaid because he'd gone on to bigger things. Um, <laughs> Dennis Quaid said, "Fuck." As a Roy Scheider, in fairness, <laughs> down to the Bahamas. Yeah. yeah, and it follows them, and it and it follows them down to the Bahamas because a shark can smell one drop of blood in one million liters of water or something. <laughs> Yep. Sounds like I need to have a, uh, like a Jawsathon this weekend to I mean, catch up I'm, after look, Sisu. After Sisu, I, I was I was feverish. I'm just saying. Yeah. I'm not saying I recommend. That's the best it way to watch them. I think. So if there's yeah. any water-based films to watch this weekend, are we Little Mermaiding? Or oh, sorry, just the Mermaid? No. That's, that's what I, it should I, be called. Of all those, Jaws I just watched Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> oh, LL Cool J. Oh, another one for the yellow question. <laughs> My head is like a shark's fin. One the of ladies, the immortal lyrics. They do love Cool James, don't they? They really, really do. They they should not love Jaws 4 because it is absolutely shit. <laughs> uh, okay, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. On that note, time to bring this bad boy to an end before Bono insinuates himself into, the, into our feet. You stay uh, away, further. Bono. <laughs> hey! Get back. They tried to do a nice thing. <laughs> Failed. Let it go, millennials. Jeez. Let it go. Let it go. Wrong Disney uh, movie. I love that. I love that film. That's so, so much better than Little Mermaid. Why so much better than you? Little Mermaid. I mean, it, it I, is. I, I, I'm with Chris on this. With, look, no Little Mermaid, no Frozen. Exactly. It's just that, that that is, this is it. The, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. It's 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 the original. It's the daddy, but not the best. It's the daddy. It is the Pedro Pascal of daddy. Disney movies. Yeah. No. Speaking no. of Pedro Pascal, I'm trying to bring this to an end. I'm taking this back to, I'm taking this back to the news section. Pedro Pascal finally, finally fessed up and admitted that he's not in the fucking armor as we knew all along. When? When did he? When did he confess this? He did this this week. In fact, I think it was today. Well, any as we record, he basically said it's a voice role <laughs> for season for season three. Well, yeah. I, he, well, he's saying, oh, he's for the more recent ones. Okay. It's like, yes, no shit. You're making the last of us. But mm. uh, yeah, he this, lived in an armor. This in season is the one. way. He this sweated in an armor. He had to be prized out of it to go poopy poopy. Uh, probably <laughs> so you know he's but... the man no Lorian or something <laughs> I don't know but anyway he's not in it alright okay should we end now yes please <laughs> oh god join us next week for more film related fun where we'll be joined by I'm hoping because <laughs> I'm still trying to get people to do this interview Melissa Barrera who's the star of In the Heights Lily Manny again mm-hmm. and Screams 5 and 6 and now she's going to be in a new version of Carmen uh, which is very very exciting Ooh, more banging tunes more banging tunes indeed and we're hoping to be joined because again this isn't set in stone we're hoping to be joined by three of the stars of Spider-Man mm. across Spider-Man. Sp- Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse which opens next week and is I believe 
pretty damned good. Uh, so we're hopefully we're going to be joined by Shamik Moore, who voices Miles Morales, Haley Steinfeld, who voices Gwen Stacy, and Daniel Kaluuya, who voices Spider-Punk. Very nice. exciting indeed. Very exciting indeed. Yay. Anyway, until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, type five, type five. Uh, it is goodbye from my three colleagues of such a lethal cunning Helen Reddy! <laughs> Hello. Bye-bye. <laughs> James Reddy! Bye. <laughs> Kobe Reddy! Always. Always? <laughs> Chris Reddy! No, never ready. But I have two tiny cotton wool buds. I'm about to do battle with Kobe. Let's see who wins. It'll be Kobe. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.